This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Gonzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Gonzano's Bald Face Truth. What would you tell Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, if you could sit down with him, have a cup of coffee, and... Talk about his career. Guy who grew up attending USC football games as a kid. I was at the Los Angeles Coliseum once with Jonathan Smith uh, right before an Oregon State-USC game, and he walked over and pointed up at the stands, and he said, hey, I used to sit right up there for games. A little bit of nostalgia. Jonathan Smith at a crossroads at Oregon State, and I'm not sure... He intended for this conversation to be happening this week. And in fact, I think he'd rather it didn't. But he came on this radio show yesterday, and he did what only Jonathan Smith would be expected to do. He was authentic. He was honest. He was truthful. He wasn't trying to play games. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't acting like Mario Cristobal or Willie Taggart or even Gary Anderson. He just came on the show and he was honest. I asked Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, what he could tell Oregon State fans. How confident are they? Or how confident should they be? I asked him what Oregon State could do to keep him around. I asked him if he or his agent have had any kind of conversations with other uh, other schools uh, outside of uh, Oregon State. And Jonathan Smith was nothing but candid. Um, And I thought the best part of our conversation was when he started talking about his agent and his agent's job. Because you get a lot of coaches who will say, I've had no contact with said school. And they'll play a game of semantics, knowing full well that their agent is in contact with somebody who is back-channeling for the school. Jonathan Smith, when I asked him, have you or your agent had contact with other schools? Is, is that mean that you have not had contact with those schools or your agent hasn't or, you know, people were worried. They keep asking me, is he leaving? Is he yeah. leaving? I said, it's not his style. Yeah. Well, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. It's like, yeah. I've got an agent that's got a job. He best be finding out what, what is out there and, and people calling him, right? I mean, that's how that works. I can tell you from his, his side, he best be working just because I'm paying him so much, right? They get a percentage of I'm making him a couple million bucks. Right? <laughs> I mean, right. so I'm not trying to be sarcastic. So, right. and I think any coach, they're aware of what's potentially out there through if their if their agents doing their job. And again, I'm not trying to would dodge the question or anything, but I'm also trying to be truthful here yeah. of how this thing works. Jonathan Smith, I want your reaction to what you heard from Oregon State's coach in that clip. 
Is he staying? Is he going? Is he on the fence still? Is I think he's being truthful. And I love when he comes forth and says, you know, my, my agent best be talking to other people. That's his job to go out and find out what my market value is, especially at a time when I have coming off a 10-win season, have a chance to post another 10-win season with a bowl game, uh, sitting at a school that has been essentially – relegated from the Power Five conference, no matter how you want to shape it or explain it. Uh, Jonathan Smith sitting in a, uh, a position where his agent should be looking out for him on behalf of him. And I love that little moment where he laughs and he's basically saying, I'm making a couple million bucks and I'm playing that, paying that guy a percentage to go out and have these conversations. He better be having these conversations. Uh, I asked Jonathan Smith how committed he is to Oregon State. A lot of anxious Beaver fans out there wondering what's going on as they see his name surface in reports about Michigan State, in reports about Texas A&M. There's some questions about, you know, if there is a domino effect in the in the Pac-12 conference. If Lincoln Riley goes to the NFL, does that mean that Jonathan Smith and or Kalen DeBoer become candidates at USC? And if DeBoer gets the USC job and Jonathan doesn't, does Jonathan become candidate number one at Washington? Uh, a lot of people want to know how committed Jonathan Smith is at Oregon State, and I asked him, what do, you, what do you say to Beaver fans? How committed are you to the future at Oregon State right now? Yeah, the uncertainty part, I will say, I grow more and more confident. Every time I talk to Scott in regards to, like, hey, this is how the plan we're going to operate to continue to fund at the Power 5 level, uh, the scheduling, trying to create a schedule that works in regards to being competitive, um, and that's not an easy task. You know the, the situation us in Washington State are in, but my confidence grows. Listen to Scott more and more on the plan to fund it at the same level and how we're going to get that done. Same thing on the president's side, talking about, again, a, a commitment to expand on what they'll support athletically. I mean, so my confidence grows on that end. All right, so there's a little bit of encouragement there if you're an Oregon State fan, even though, you know, if you – Used common sense. Jonathan Smith gets a no-brainer job. He probably jumps at it. He likes what he's hearing, which is all Oregon State can control, right? If you're Scott Barnes at Oregon State, you have about three things you can control. One, you can stay in constant communication and contact with your coach. And Scott Barnes issued a statement five minutes after I posted my column this morning uh, saying that he's been in daily contact with Jonathan Smith. All right, so there's one thing that you can control. Second thing you can control is getting the best possible contract in front of your coach so that he feels valued, so that his staff feels taken care of, so that, you know, you've done everything you can financially. And, again, Scott Barnes' statement this morning checked that box, saying, you know, we, uh, we've we got uh, plans to, uh, you know, take care of the staff, take care of Coach Smith. Uh, also, he's got a contract that has a kicker in it that automatically gives him an extra year of coaching for every time he wins seven or more games. And so it triggered this year, it triggered last year. He's got six years left on the deal. So you can control those things. The third thing you can control if you're Oregon State is where you land in the coming days. And I think it's why it's so important that Oregon State and Washington State get control of the Pac-12 or the Pac-2 conference, whatever you want to call it. Those board seats matter. The revenue matters. The schedule that they're trying to put together, blending the Mountain West Conference partnership and maybe playing Oregon in a Civil War game going forward in a home-and-home, playing Purdue, picking up maybe a Utah or a Stanford or Cal game. You need another Power Four game to kind of balance the schedule out. You want a game you can really win as well. Like, that's all you can do if you're Oregon State. And so Jonathan Smith is saying that, uh, you know, he's hearing 
some of the be- some of the things that he needs to hear from Oregon State, and I and I think that's important. Um, he talked about wanting to play Power Five conference opponents at home, and this stemmed off my question to him about playing Oregon. He's not in charge of scheduling the games, but does he want to play Oregon in a home and home? Yeah, you want to play Power Five games at home. Uh, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. You want to play a competitive schedule. Um, those type of things, and and so there's a lot for those, you know, Scott and, and whoever else on the other side to sort out uh, changing schedules, in particular to Oregon, but in just in general, I think, uh, yeah, we want to play Power 5 games and get them at home the next few years. Now, if you're Jonathan Smith, what do you do? How do you approach this offseason? I want you to tell me at 503-417-7575, what do you do or how do you approach it, I think is the better question. Because if you are somebody who is, you know, trying to consider what to do, you first have to have an approach. And if I'm Jonathan Smith, I want my agent fielding all those requests. I want to be focused on the football, focused on this Friday's game playing Oregon. Uh, and I want to hear what Oregon State's got to offer before I, before I say boo. Now, I heard that interview with him yesterday or did that interview with him. And i got to be honest with you. You know, I left that interview thinking to myself, he's gone. He's gone. He's talking like a coach who understands the reality of his situation, Oregon State's predicament, and he's put in the work. He's gone. But then the more I started to unpack it, I started looking at what is out there for him. Michigan State, Texas A&M, they're not ideal jobs. They're not no-brainer jobs for Jonathan Smith. And as I looked this morning at the line of coaches who have left Oregon and Oregon State over the years, from Rich Brooks to Dennis Erickson to Mike Riley twice uh, to Willie Taggart to Mario Cristobal to Chip Kelly. You know what I found? I found a lot of guys who did not have success after they left the state of Oregon. Rich Brooks went on to the NFL. He coached a season and a half, fired. Chip Kelly goes to Philadelphia, did okay for his spell, then fired. Goes to the 49ers, fired again. Goes to UCLA. He's coaching 500 ball. Willie Taggart leaves Oregon. Where he was seven and five, couldn't win at Florida State. Fired. Couldn't win after that. Fired again. Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon, where he won multiple championships. Goes to Miami. Real mixed bag. Hasn't you know? He's got a 500 record right now. He's six and five. He has a chance to go seven and five this year. That would be a great season for a coach who leaves. Uh, you know, you look at the coaches who have left Oregon State and Oregon over the years. There aren't success stories. There aren't multiple championships. None of them turned it into a no-brainer, Dennis Erickson included. Left Oregon State, got fired in San Francisco. All of these coaches are getting fired, whether they leave for the NFL or they leave for college jobs. They haven't had success. I understand that Oregon State's a different animal. It's a little different equation. The calculus is different because of the Pac-2 status and the uncertainty there. But if I'm Jonathan Smith, I'm treading lightly. I don't know if I would take a Michigan State job knowing that I could probably wait a year or two, probably see how this Oregon State thing goes, and maybe end up in a situation where I have a better opportunity like USC or Washington or UCLA maybe if they don't open up in this window. I want to know what you think. 503-417-7575. What should his approach be? What would you tell him? Stephen, what would you tell Jonathan Smith? I would tell Jonathan Smith that the jobs available right now are not the jobs that he wants. Um, I, I'm with you. I When I 
went away from that interview the first time I heard it, I thought he was gone. It sounded like he was a guy that was looking to get out. Uh, but, again, the more you listen to it, the more you think about it, He, I think he wants to stay at Oregon State as long as he possibly can, as long as they can stay in a power for a conference. And he made that pretty clear when he said, I want a power five schedule, but I want them to come to our home. And I think that means, you know, maybe they've reached out to Oregon and Oregon isn't interested in going to Reeser Stadium. And he doesn't want that. Jonathan Smith does not want to be the little brother at Oregon State anymore, especially in the world of college football. He doesn't want to be left out. He wants to be in one of the big conferences. So if Oregon State can't provide him with that, there's no reason that he should be at Oregon State. He's too good of a coach to be there. So I think right now he's more – he seems like more of a West Coast guy to me, a guy who wants to be on the West. Michigan State, Texas yes. A&M, doesn't feel like the fit for Jonathan Smith. The job I think that he would want, it's not available right now. It could become available, and that's USC. I think that he would be a perfect fit at USC. He has talked about on this show – how he grew up being a USC fan. You mentioned the story earlier of where he pointed out where he sat. I think he has that connection there. That's where he grew up. That was the school he grew up watching and being a fan of. They obviously need a defensive coordinator. Who can they pay? Oh, Trent Bray, who's a really good young coordinator. Bring him along, too. I think that solves a lot of problems for USC. I think it's a great fit down there at Southern Cal if Jonathan Smith wants to go there. And that's the school I think that he should be holding out for. It shouldn't be Michigan State. It should be Texas A&M. It's USC, but I, I do think it's if if Scott Barnes and Oregon State, they can provide some type of structure that says, look, we're going to be in the Power Four. We're going to be in one of these big-time conferences. I can see Jonathan Smith saying, but as long as it's not that, he's got. I, I would advise him that he's got to look to leave because he, he's too good to coach in you know the Mountain West. Yeah, and if I'm him, I'm looking at a couple of different things. One is... You know, is your stock as high as it's going to be right now? Jimmy Sexton, his agent, is going to sell him on the idea that his stock is sky high, that this is the time to jump. This is the time to capitalize on the work you've done at Oregon State. But, you know, I've covered the Big Ten. Michigan State, it is, uh, you know, about the sixth best job in that conference at, at best. And you're still going to have to deal with USC Oregon, Washington, the same problems he had in the Pac-12, and you're going to have to deal with Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan as well on top of that. And so, I, you know, I don't know if that's a job you run to, even with Oregon State's circumstance. We'll find out. Texas A&M's different. I think it'd be a really good job, but I'm not sure that Jonathan Smith is the recruiter that the job at Texas A&M requires. Like, he, he hasn't made hay recruiting guys in the way that Texas A&M and the boosters there want to recruit. So I don't know if that's a great fit. You see the job at Mississippi State. I go, yeah, he's not an SEC guy. He doesn't know the South. I'm not sure that that's a great job either in the SEC. Like, you know, you're again, you're a bottom half of the conference team trying to punch punch your way up. And so, you know, I just wonder if he is willing to be patient and wait and see. Maybe Lincoln Riley goes to the NFL. And that opens up a possible opening at USC or a domino effect where Kalen DeBoer goes from Washington to USC to reunite with his old athletic director, and then Jonathan Smith goes to Washington. I don't know. I just don't know how, how, how patient he can be, and I, and I don't know how patient he is. And I know his children range in age from about 9 or 10 years old at the young end to a high school sophomore in the high end. I don't know if that matters in his world. I don't know the family dynamic well enough. I don't know if his wife is saying, I've had enough of Corvallis, get me out of here, or I love it here, this is my forever place, how could we ever uproot our children? That's a factor, too, that none of us can answer. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Dre's in Portland. Dre, what do you think? Jay, I'm telling them to get your money now so you can enjoy it later. 
get your money now so you can enjoy it later. Life's too short. I get not everyone is about the money, but if I'm in his ear, I'm telling him, Jonathan, get paid, retire early, and enjoy life. Thanks, Jay. Go play pickleball, you know, at the end of it. That's what Dre's advocating for a little pickleball. Get your money now. Is it, it, is it though, short-sighted, given his contract at Oregon State and that every time he wins seven games, it gives him an additional year? But don't you – Is it short-sighted to run to, uh, hey, uh, you know, you're going to go to Michigan State, they're going to pay you a million and a half dollars more a year, you know, but you could be out of there in five, six years in, on the streets again. I don't know. Do you think that, you know, he brought up his agent going and doing his job, which I thought was so refreshing because it was so truthful, but don't you think the only – like, now, basically, the worst-case scenario is he's going to get a big contract extension from Oregon State and get a, a pay raise from worst Oregon case, State. yeah. That's the worst-case well, well, scenario. Worst-case worst scenario, he waits a year or two, and let's just say things don't go well for Oregon State, and you essentially end up as a Mountain West Conference team under the Pac-12 umbrella, and, you know, you're just kind of middling along, hoping that your best season, you know, is enough to get you an at-large berth to the – to the playoff, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think schools are going to hold that against Jonathan Smith. And I think they're still going to look at him in a year or two and go, hey, bad circumstance, great coach. I don't know. What say you, Roy in Portland? Hey, John. Uh, John, do you know about, like, um, they used to have these kits that you can make, like, uh, say, a uh, Toyota look like a Porsche. Yes. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can That's fancy what, it up. When you say, when you say Pac-12 – uh, with the mountain, that, that, that's what that is. That's not the Pac-12. It's the relegation. Pac-12 is done. Okay, so, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be the Mountain West plus two. I, I, I mean, Jonathan Smith has to go. He has to go. Michigan State will be the perfect place for him because everybody in the next couple of years, every coach out there is going to be going to want to be in the SEC or the Big Ten. I mean, that's going to be the two major conferences. So if he if he goes to the Big Ten, he will play Oregon, he will play USC, he will play UCLA. You know, he 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 can recruit out west. That could be a selling point for him to Michigan State. Say, hey, I can go out west and recruit. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he'd be perfect at Michigan State. I don't know about Texas A&M. I wouldn't touch Texas A&M for anything. I mean, they just the boosters down there. You're not going to have a good time. They're going to want ten wins every season. But Michigan State will be happy. With seven, eight wins, you know, maybe occasional, you know, you go to the playoff, and I think that'll be a great, that'll be a great landing spot. But you cannot stay, you cannot stay at Oregon State. It's not a good, it's not, a, I'm sorry, it's not a good job anymore. Once they go join the uh, Mountain West, that's not a job for for a coach like Jonathan Smith. You can't, he can't, he can't stay. And, and I read too, like you did. I think he's gone. <laughs> when I heard about the agent. When he said the agent is his job, I said, oh, he's gone. You know, I may Ref- be wrong, yeah. but I, yeah. I think he's gone. Uh, refreshing to hear him talk like that, truthfully. I think he was candid. You know, I know he had turned down multiple requests from national media members who were trying to get to him to talk to him about the vacancies at Michigan State, talk to him about the vacancies at Texas A&M. He had put everybody off, and I, I got to be honest, I really appreciated that he came on this show wasn't his normal day to come on, and when I brought up the topic, which I'm going to do, obviously, he didn't kind of he didn't kind of brush it away. He he sort of took it head on and said, "Okay, you know, this is my agent's job. I hope he's talking to people. It's what he's supposed to be doing." 
I am fascinated to see how this unfolds. I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's gone for a good job. Like, I'll just say it stronger. He's gone if a good job is offered to him. I don't, I don't share Roy's enthusiasm for Michigan State because if I'm Jonathan Smith, I think you can get USC or Washington, and I think those two jobs are both going to come open in the next two seasons. I think Kalen DeBoer is going to leave Washington. I think he's probably going to go to USC if Lincoln Riley leaves. I think Jen Cohen's top two candidates at USC would be Kalen DeBoer and Jonathan Smith if the job opens. One of those guys is going to get it, and the loser of that is going to go to Washington or stay at Washington. And so I think there's an opportunity here for Jonathan Smith, if he's patient, to end up in a much better situation. Now, Chip Kelly could get fired, too. Let's say he loses to Cal on Saturday. Chip Kelly gets fired. If I'm Martin Jarman, the AD at UCLA, Jonathan Smith is on my short list. Uh, Bring a kid from Southern California back home. I mean, I think there's better jobs in Michigan State that could be out there. I could be wrong. Maybe he's salivating at the idea. Charlie's in Vancouver. Charlie, go ahead. John, I think you hinted at it the other day when you said uh, it, with the expansion of the playoffs, it might be great just to be the kind of big fish in the, you know, winning the, their conference every single year. And if they beat Oregon half the time, they're going to be one of those 12 playoff spots. And I can see he's different. He's like Mark Few in a way. He values different things. He's different. I mean, look at that interview. You've never heard an interview like that, ever, ever, ever. So much respect for him, so much respect for the fact that he went to you for respect for you because of that. So that word refreshing keeps popping out. It was so fun to listen to him actually speak truth from a coach. And I hope that what we talked about or what I just said happens, I hope that, you know, he says, hey, I'll be at this conference every single year. We'll recruit the best that this conference can have every single year, and I know I can coach guys up. In our big three or four games, we'll get some big games at home, and all of a sudden they'll be in the playoffs every single year fighting for a national championship. Excited to see it. Hope it happens. And I I understand it probably won't, but I hope it does. Yeah, it's interesting because you say that. You bring up Mark Few. And, you know, meanwhile, Mark Few is probably uh, right now jockeying for position trying to get himself to the Big 12 but I get you, I get the I get the theory of it and I get the spirit of it. If Jonathan Smith really is that kind of guy, we're going to find out. I mean, and and I think he will be roundly criticized by people nationally who go, "Oh my gosh, look at him, he's being a fool." But I actually think Michigan State, look, I've covered the Big 10. Michigan State is not in front of Michigan. It's not in front of Ohio State. It's not in front of Penn State. It's not going to be in front of USC or Oregon or Washington. Um, It's in that next tier of schools with Wisconsin and Purdue and Iowa where, you know, you're fighting to be the seventh or eighth best team in the conference. He's done that at Oregon State, and he's proven that he can do that. Does he want to go all the way through that with less resources and the uphill climb that Michigan State is, or will he be patient? I don't know. Eric's in Salem. Eric, uh, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John. How you doing? Doing well. Um, yeah, I just wanted to comment on Coach Smith's situation. I, You know, he's done such a great job at Oregon State that I believe if there is a good job out there, he deserves to go and he deserves the money. 
But I have to agree with you. You know, if UCLA or USC becomes available, you know, in the next few years, if I was Jonathan Smith, I would wait. I would stay at Oregon State, do what I'm doing, and then, you know, stay in the West Coast, get one of those jobs. I think that's probably what he's going to be more comfortable with. Um, I just see that. I just see him doing that instead. Yeah. Now, can he afford to be patient? Will recruits jump into the portal and make his job harder at Oregon State? Will he have mass attrition with his staff at Oregon State? I thought it was really interesting because Jonathan Smith talked about what he needs to hear from Oregon State. You tell me, what's he lobbying for here? You know, at this point, what do you need to hear from Oregon State to say, you know, I'm on board? Have they put a contract in front of you? Do you have an extension on, on your desk? You know, where does that stand? Right. You know, there's been uh, conversations. I mean, some of the, for me, individually on my contract, because we've won the amount of games we have, I've already got an automatic extension, and so I'm sitting on another six years. And so that part is not as critical. The the big piece is just not about me, right? I think I get, we got a big-time staff here, and they're, right, just not about me, oh, the insecurity or uncertainty. Well, we've got a staff here the same way, players same way. We want to continue to fund it, support it. So we operate like a power five level. There it is. He is lobbying, if he does stay at Oregon State, for higher pay, salary pool, for his assistant coaches to grow a little bit. He wants to be able to do it right if he's going to stay. There is a big if there, and there is a Civil War football game taking place on Friday. Our next guest coming up after the break is going to be seeing his first in-person Civil War game on Friday. Stay tuned. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't know how many Civil War football games you've been around for. This will be number 20 for me, 20, that I have seen in person. I got to know this rivalry well. Uh, I can tell you all sorts of facts about the rivalry, dating back to the, uh, to the uh, you know, late 1800s. Uh, you know, this rivalry, for example, was not played in 1911. The, I wrote about yesterday the 1910 game had a riot afterwards, so they canceled the 1911 game and then played at a neutral site in 1912 and 1913. The 1943 and 1944, there were no games because of uh, the war. That's uh, That makes sense. Um, there have been occasions in which uh, teams in the series played without a head coach early in the series. There have been uh, ties, including the toilet bowl game that was that infamous 0-0 tie that everybody says they were at and nobody uh, wants to talk about. Our next guest is brand new to this rivalry, KATU sports anchor. Tyree Smith is joining us. This will be his first Civil War football game. Uh, he is a uh, he's coming to K two from West Palm Beach, Florida. He's a Palm Beach County native, and uh, played some football, played, ran some track, uh, and has worked in Michigan and some other places. But uh, he's now in the Pacific Northwest. He's going to get in you know introduced to the Oregon Oregon State rivalry. Tyree, how are you doing, man? 
JP, I'm having a good time, my brother. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I want to know. I thought it was really interesting because everybody's like, okay, he's brand new. He's, he's, I think that's your first day on the job. Is Friday your first day on the job officially? <laughs> no, no, no. My first day on the job was actually Monday, but Friday will be my first real on-air appearance, actually. All right, and you're still you're still feeling good about the decision to come to the Pacific Northwest. And- <laughs> you, you know, John, people ask me a lot when I tell them I'm from Palm Beach County or from West Palm Beach. They're like, how'd you end up in Portland? I'm like, well, you know, you get tired of the sunshine every day sometimes, and you, you want a little bit of a change. And I was like, and I wanted to start something new, and I can't get any further. Portland, Oregon, yeah. on the map. If you're looking at a map, go as far as possible. So I was like, Portland is the place to be. And so far, it's been an amazing time here. The people are so welcoming. The food is great. So I'm definitely enjoying my time here. Give me an idea when you look at Oregon and Oregon State as programs. Um, your view from like you know you you have one time here where you can view them as an outsider. And forevermore after Friday, uh, you you won't be. But the, give us an idea of what what you think of these two teams, what you think of this rivalry, maybe from a you know a West Palm Beach uh, viewpoint. You know, when I look at the rivalry, I, I I compare it to some of the rivalries I've been around growing up, from the University of Miami, Florida, and Florida State, um, and then the, the Georgia and Florida games. I personally think I've never seen this type of hype around a rivalry game before. And this is, I think this is probably the most special one that I'm going to be able to be a part of in terms of witnessing in person for the first time. Yeah, I look at these two programs, one where Oregon State is very good now, and they're proving it week in and week out, even who they're facing against. And then Oregon, who's always been pretty consistently dominant, and now they have chances here to continue that dominance, possibly go to the college football playoffs. I look at these two teams as two good teams finally in the state of Oregon competing against one another in the rivalry game for possibly, potentially the last time, at least for them being in the Pac-12 conference together. This is a great rivalry, and it is. It's popping around here. I go around the coffee shops and everything, and that's what people are talking about all week long. And I think the um, I think the tradition and the importance of this game spreads far more than just the Pacific Northwest, which is why I know this game is going to be watched by a lot of people. And from my perspective, from a Florida from a Florida perspective, it's going to be a fun game. It's something that I never got a chance to witness before, but I've been talking to my coworkers. You know, there's a lot of Oregon, Oregon State fans in here, and they're, um, they're pretty pumped up. And it's kind of a room divided right now as well. So I'm not I'm not telling them who I think is going to win exactly, but I can for sure tell you from a Florida perspective, this robbery is nothing like I've seen so far. Let's go back to uh, Park Vista, Oxbridge, Oxbridge Academy in high school. Did you know this is what you wanted to do? Like always you said, you know, I'm going to be on TV, I'm going to be a sports anchor, or is this something you found in college? You know, what's funny about that is everyone from Palm Beach County, um, that's where I'm from, the Palm Beach County and Treasure Coast area in West Palm Beach, we all want to play professional football. If football is king in Florida, and I'm sure you've heard that before as well, football is king there, and everybody wants to play professional. And when I figured I wasn't going to be six foot 205 running a 4-4, um, I was like, I think I'm going to be doing that. So I thought the best way to stay 
with the sport that I grew up playing and loved was the broadcasting and being an athlete, being able to play um, in high school and college as well. I know what it takes, and I see I seen the uh, the um, the sacrifices players and athletes have to make, and I thought those stories need to be told. The athletes, how do they get to where they are when they play on the Friday night lights, Saturday, Sunday, whatever terrain, whatever sport, and whatever day they play, there's a story behind every athlete. And I thought, hey, I can do that. I can stay close to the sports that I love. And that's when I was like, all right, I want to be a broadcaster. I want to be, I want to, uh, I want to be a journalist. And that led me to Michigan, um, Wisconsin first for college, and then Michigan, my first job, back to West Palm Beach with ESP and West Palm, and now all the way to the Pacific Northwest. So, no, it was never, to answer your question in long format, it wasn't what I originally wanted to do, but now it's what I love to do every single day. Tyree Smith, KATU Sports Anchor, is with us. It'll be his first Civil War football game on Friday. Tyree, um, you mentioned Michigan. I think you were in Ishpeming, Michigan, and then went to school in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You, you know Big Ten country. I covered the Big Ten years and years ago. But it mm-hmm. Michigan State has an opening. Jonathan Smith is at Oregon State. He's had success there. What does he need to know about Michigan State and where it ranks in the Big Ten? And is that a good job? Can you ever really win big there? Or what do you make of Michigan State as a job? It's... I think it's a good opening for a coach who doesn't have an established foundation already at where they are. I think Michigan State is very – it has a lot of great things. It's a great program. I was able to cover them a little bit. It's a great program, great facilities, and the people around there love the Spartans. But if you are somewhere where you're already established, you have a rapport with the fan base, I would not take a Michigan State job that's – has a lot of controversy around it, as you know, and is going to be basically rebuilding from the ground up. So when you hear those rumors and stuff about, you know, potentially uh, um, Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith going over, I don't think that would be the best idea for him. What he should know is that Michigan State often gets overshadowed a lot by the University of Michigan, and especially right now with Michigan being in um, the top four of the college football playoffs. Michigan State is not the most appeasing job, I think, and I don't think that's a a job for somebody that's pretty established already where they are. So if he wants to know one thing about Big Ten and Michigan State is he's going to have to overcome a lot from the adversity with um, former head coach Mel Tucker to now trying to overpower the University of Michigan fans already there. It's it's not the it's not a great coaching job for somebody who's already established. I'm looking at this game on Friday, and it feels like Oregon has got a lot on the line with the playoff out there, a rematch with you know a potential Washington rematch in the title game in Vegas. Uh, Oregon State uh, playing to spoil that, and also. Uh, has kind of a um, you know uncertain future with the conference and its coach and how does that factor in this game in your mind, Tyree? When you you know you got to you kind of kind of take it a day at a time, John. You know, obviously there's a lot of outside factors going in for Oregon State. Let's not not Oregon, but Oregon State is Coach Smith going to stay there? 
um, what's going to happen with the schedule for next season would only be from Pac-12 to Pac-2 currently at the moment with um, Washington State. There's a lot of outside factors that fans and probably and people around Oregon State are thinking about. But look at straight ahead at this game. I think that this game is a wonderful opportunity for the Beavers, for a team that has conquered a lot, who has an amazing quarterback in DJ Uangale. And I think this is just a team that can potentially upset. Rivalry games are, are not easy. They're not easy, as we saw Oregon State won last season. So I think this is someone that the Beavers need to stay focused on this game, worry about this game, and I think this is uh, this is going to be one of the times that Beaver Nation can shock the world. Not saying that it is going to happen, but it can happen. Robbery games, anything can happen. Um, but for Oregon State fans, worrying about the outside noise, and Jonathan Smith has – um, is a great guy. He's opening. You've had him on your show as well. You've heard him talk about the uh, situation. Um, but I think that he is a very open and um, loving coach, especially for that community, especially being in that program beforehand. I think fans alike need to breathe, relax, understand that Coach Smith is here right now, embrace that right now, and embrace the challenge of knocking off potentially a, a powerhouse in Oregon who has, you know, t- t- title dreams, title shots, and this is the this is the opportunity to do it. So focus on that, focus on the task at hand, and everything else will play out how it's supposed to. Give me an idea. You've moved here. You've moved before, but you move here. Do you have boxes all over? Do you have a place to stay? <laughs> how is that process? I'm staying in my car. No, 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 no. I figured out. I, I definitely got a place. The boxes has finally been unboxed. That was actually, Monday was my last box. I've been here for um, about a week. I got here for a week just so I could settle in, get to the area, you know, get in some, some shops and talk to people and stuff. So the boxes are gone. I got an apartment in an amazing, amazing area of Portland. And so far, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm feeling comfortable. The weather is, um, the weather, I love it. I actually love the weather. People from Florida will say this is, below temperature freezing but i this is i walked out of um i walked outside in just a pants and a shirt today so i'm i I think i'm fitting in pretty well in the pacific northwest if you ask me all right i'm gonna say hi to you at the game on friday i appreciate you making time and wanted to introduce you a little bit to to the audience and uh we'll get you back on tyree smith thank you john i appreciate you we'll talk to you soon all right be well there he is katu's new sports anchor new guy to the rivalry Give the weather some time. Wait until it's just dumping rain, and then uh, we'll, we'll check back on you, Tyree. Uh, look, I, I, I'm looking forward to Friday's game. Steven and I are going to make our official picks. We're going to lock it in because guess what? We have Thanksgiving coming tomorrow. No show tomorrow. Dan Lanning coming up at 420. He'll be with us, Oregon coach. That'll be fantastic. In the 5 o'clock hour, we will uh, talk about the state high school football playoffs, and a whole bunch more. Leave it here. You can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. That's where you find all my work, my columns, my opinions, my weekly picks. Uh, I love the relationship I have with the readers there. I'm able to uh, send you what I write in real time. You get it. People are replying. It's just been great to kind of have that back and forth with readers. Posted... uh, 
today about Jonathan Smith and some thoughts there. I appreciate everybody uh, who is commenting in the comment section. It's It's been lively, I'll say that. Um, Stephen, we're going to turn our attention to the picks for Week 13. It's already here. Week 13 is here. Um, I had a bad week last week with my picks. I went 3-3 three and three straight up. Um, a chimpanzee could have could have gone three and three. I went one and five against the spread. It's the only week all season I've been under five hundred against the spread. One and it's dismal. I am now sitting in a position this week where I've got to be above five hundred to stay above five hundred. I entered the week five games over five hundred. I left the week four games. I went one and five, and so now I'm only one game over 500 for the season. This is a very important week for me, and we're going to start it by talking about the Civil War. Friday, 5:30 on Fox. Oregon State at Oregon. Ten and one Ducks at home. Oregon State eight and three has played everybody tough. Three losses by a total of eight points. Stephen, the spread is 13 and a half. Ducks are favored. Who you got? I got Oregon in this one. I, I think Oregon is uh, – I think this has a lot of potential to be an Oregon dump trucking of Oregon State. I, I think it could be a blot in this situation. Oregon State, man, they have fought through this entire season. A lot of uh, you know distractions, whether it's the conference, whether it's you know anything. Now we got Jonathan Smith coming out, uh, you know, saying – talking about his agent on your show. Like, what does that play into the game? What, what does that tell the players? I, I don't know. And I also think Oregon State, you look at what their stats are – they're giving up almost 100 yards more on the road this season than they are at home. The, the defense has not been good on the road. I can't see him stopping Oregon. I think Oregon is going to be able to run the football. I think they'll be able to pass the football on those young cornerbacks. I think this has potential to be you know, a 21-plus win uh, for Oregon. I think Oregon really puts it on Oregon State. Oregon goes for the Heisman, tries to get Bo Nix those stats. I think Oregon has a lot, a lot of good things going in this game. So I'm going to take Oregon minus the points. I don't disagree that Oregon's got more at stake. It's clear they're fighting for the right to, uh, you know, basically it's four playoff games in a row. They cannot lose. They cannot lose this game. They cannot lose the Pac-12 championship game. They win those two. They're in the playoff. They have the potential to play a semifinal and a national championship game. They are four games away, four wins away from being the national champions. They're playing for a whole bunch. I don't disagree with that. But I think Oregon State is going to show up motivated. I think Oregon State's going to show up with a chip on its shoulder. I think Oregon State's been hearing about Oregon all year long, and I think the Oregon State wanted to play this game probably in August when Oregon announced it was going to the Big Ten. Oregon State was strapped up and ready to go. But I think Oregon's got too much for Oregon State, and I think you're right about the home field. I have been burned by Oregon on backdoor covers, though, a couple times this season. They did it in the Washington State game. They did it in the USC game. I think they're a candidate here to do it for a third time. I think Oregon will score 31 to 34 points in this game. I think Oregon State in the fourth quarter is going to be behind something like 31-17, 31-14, something like that. And I think Oregon State will get a late TD to cover the 13-and-a-half. I think it will be a decisive Oregon win. But I'll take the Beavers and 13-and-a-half because I think they will keep it closer than expected. Keep in mind, Oregon State has lost three games. They've lost by three, three, and two. They have not been blown out. I don't think they're they're built to get blown out. Colorado's at Utah. 
noon Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Utah did, is coming off a blowout loss at Arizona. Colorado got run out of the stadium by Washington State. Who do you trust more right now? Utah's a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. I trust Utah. Shador Sanders is uh, questionable. Deion Sanders says he's day-to-day. Utah uh, is the better team. They're playing at home. If there's no Shador, this could get really ugly. I think it's something like 42-17 Utah. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think the Shador, uh, the question, questionable tag there, it could be a not play. And if that's the case, Utah is going to you know, just run all over the field on Colorado. So I'm going to take Utah minus the points. Same as you. Arizona-Arizona State border war. Rivalry game, 12.30 Saturday ESPN. Arizona is in a weird position. If Oregon wins the Civil War on Friday, Arizona's not playing for a berth in the Pac-12 championship game. Do you decide if that impacts your pick? Right now, Arizona's a 10.5-point favorite, and they are playing at Arizona State. Now, Arizona's a better team. They're having a great season. They're fighting to finish 9-3 and with a victory. Um, you know, be the third-best team in the conference. Meanwhile, Arizona State has struggled to score points. Last three games, three, three points, 17 points, 13 points. Major factor in this game. I think Arizona wins and covers the 10-and-a-half. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. I've been on Arizona, said they're going to go uh, win, win the rest of the Pac-12 games, be two losses, really throw a wrench in it. I think they do it, and I think they do it pretty easily against Arizona State. Huskies, Cougars, Apple Cup, 1 o'clock Saturday. On Fox, 11-0 Washington against uh, a Washington State team that had been struggling until last week. Washington's a 16.5-point favorite. I don't think they're going to cover here. I think it's like 38-23. It's just not the way Washington plays. Washington in their last seven games has not uh, had a margin of victory larger than 10 points. They're 7-0, but they're winning close. I think Washington wins by like 15 14, 15 points. I'll take Washington State in 16 and a half. I'm going to take it a step further, John. I think Washington State's live to win this game. Uh, Washington's going through this murder as well. We talked about the last four games of the season. They've survived it. But guess what? They played a lot of physical games. Utah now at the Oregon State emotional game. Washington State got it back going against Colorado. I think Washington State has a chance to go in and win this game against Washington. So I'll take the points. Notre Dame at Stanford. Uh, let's uh Let's grab this one on the other side of the break. We'll also do Cal UCLA on the other side of the break. And Dan Lanning, ahead. So we agree that uh, Oregon is the likely winner of the Civil War football game on Friday. I also like the fact that everybody's calling it the Civil War again. We got over that pretty quickly. It It's the Civil War. Ducks playing at home. I've got them. I don't think they cover the 13 and a half. Steven thinks they do. Colorado, Utah. We both agree Utah's going to boat race Colorado. I just think it's done for Colorado this year. They're already looking into the offseason. Arizona, Arizona State. We both like Arizona to cover. Washington, Washington State. Um, I like Washington State in 16 and a half. Steven thinks Washington State could win the damn game. Did you hit your head? They have. They're 1-6 in their last seven. They just put up a 50-burger on uh, Colorado. Got on ex- Colorado. Ex- on ex- got an extra day of rest. <laughs> Washington just played the Oregon State emotional, physical game. They've okay. gone through them in Utah. I just sleepy spot, I feel like. That's why I like the 16-and-a-half. But I'm not. Here's the thing about Washington. Like, right, You're right that like Washington, 
You give Washington credit. Can I say that up front? Give him credit. But their last seven games, here's the margin of victory in each of this last seven games. Seven, three, eight, nine, ten, seven, and two. They don't blow people out. And that's why I think Washington State being five and six, a game away from bowl eligibility, the last Pac-12 game, you know they're already pissed at Washington for leaving the Pac-12. I don't know. It adds up to a sneaky game here for me, John. All right, keep an eye on that one. One o'clock Saturday on Fox, Apple Cup. Notre Dame at Stanford, four o'clock game on the Pac-12 network. The last Pac-12 as we know it network game. Larry Scott's final gift. Um, Notre Dame has been better in recent weeks. They are favored, however, by 25 and a half points against Stanford at Stanford. Um, Who do you like there? It's a lot of points, um, but going back to last season, Stanford beat Notre Dame, and I and there's been some talk. I've heard this on a different pod, couple different podcasts that Notre Dame actually has talked about that game in a revenge, a revenge spot. Like they are upset that they lost that game last season. I think Notre Dame with Sam Hartman, they go out out and they uh, they dominate. They dump truck Stanford and they cover the points. So I'm gonna take Notre Dame minus the points. It's a lot of points. I, I it is I hate, and a half. I hate laying that many, but I just I think Stanford. They're kind of done. Like they had their big wins this season. They had a great season, and they're moving forward next year. Did they have a great season? Is in, in Troy Taylor's first year? Is it a great season? I think so. They got two conference wins. That's two more than I thought they'd get. Is it great though? I mean, or is it just hey, they got a foundation there? I mean, if I'm grading it, if I'm grading it, is an A minus to an A? Wow. What would you get? I guess you had, that's a column you can write there. I give them. I didn't like how they played in the big game. They got I think Cal just controlled them. But the comeback against Colorado was really impressive. That was the highlight of their season. I mean, they just with everybody watching, they rallied and played a really good game and and you know, fought their way back into it. So, got to give them credit there. But and they got win, say, win on the win on I give the road. Them a B. I give them a B because uh, you know, it's still we're looking at a team that you know, wasn't very good even though they were better than we thought they would be. So I, I think Troy Taylor's the right guy. I'm not questioning that. Yeah. I'm not saying like he had a bad year. But um, here's how I see that game. If you would have asked me like a month ago to call that game, I probably would have said 25 and a half is too many. Too many points. If um, But St- Notre Dame's played better. Notre Dame has um, you know been better on the offense and uh, has shown to me that they can get into the 30s against Stanford, which is what you need to you know cover that big number. I think Stanford is a threat to not score in this game or have 10 points or fewer. It's going to be a really rough offensive game for Stanford. I, I think it's like 38-10, so I agree with you. I think Notre Dame covers um, and uh, ends up covering that spread. And then, you know, Stanford goes off into the offseason talking about their ACC future. Cal's at UCLA, 7.30 Saturday, ESPN. Chip Kelly's team coming off an emotional win over USC last week. The Bruins are 7-4. and four. They could really punctuate their regular season with a win over Cal. Be an 8-4 and four team. There's no way you're going to fire Chip Kelly if he goes 8-4, and four, right? The Bears, meanwhile, are playing for bowl eligibility. They're 5-6. and six. Final regular season Pac-12 game in history, 7.30 Saturday night on ESPN. UCLA is a nine-point favorite. Steven, who you got? 
I got Cal winning on the field. I got Cal winning this game. Um, UCLA, look, they, they've scored against USC because that defense is really poor. And I said that last week. I thought they could win, and they, they went out and dominated USC. And you saw you know the emotions that they got out there. I do question, you know, if Chip Kelly's the guy or not. Like, do they want to play for this guy? I think they can get up against the USC, but when you're going against the Cal, it's a different situation. Uh, you know, the late night game is going to be a little weird. I think Cal wins on the field, um, so I don't even think that it's going to be. They need the points. I think Cal wins and upsets UCLA, and Cal gets to a bowl game at six and six. Cal UCLA. I, I'm going to lean that UCLA wins and covers. I think they're better. They're obviously at home. Uh, it, they played for Chip Kelly a week ago. It's a really weird game, 7.30. It's the last Pac-12 after dark game in history. It'll be um, it'll be a weird dynamic. I'll take UCLA. I don't feel great about it, but I'll take UCLA and I'll lay the nine points. How's that? Will people watch that game because it's the last game? Do you think that that's a possibility, that people will just tune in and go, hey, it's the last Pac-12 game. Let's check it out. Will you tune in that way? Uh, yeah, I will, especially if, uh, you know, if the betting day is not going great and I need to, you know, catch up on that last game. You'll be chasing the chase in the last Pac-12 a dark game. But no, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a fun game. I think it has uh, a lot of potential to be one of those perfect Pac-12 after dark games. So yeah, I think it's a little, little nostalgia there, a little sad that it's going to be the end of the Pac-12. So I'll be watching it. All right, we'll do that. Uh, we'll be playing Punch It Audio here coming up. Dan Lanning is going to join us in about 15 minutes. He'll be with us at 420 to talk about um, the uh, upcoming game on Friday. Uh, the Ducks playing a home game at Autzen Stadium, rivalry game. Is it the last one? Is it not the last one? I, I'm going to bet this. I'm going to say this. Here's another fearless prediction I have. I'm told that the conversation between Boise State and Oregon are moving along. I, I think there's some motivation on the Boise State front that you know they're going to end up... Um, you know, coming to a, an agreement with Oregon about letting Oregon out of the uh, the uh, Pac-12 uh, Mountain West Conference game that is scheduled for Autzen Stadium, a home-and-home home series scheduled for 2024 and 2025. I think they'll let them out of that series. And uh, and I think once that happens, I think you will, uh, you'll see the announcement that Oregon State is going to slide into that September 14th window next season. And I think they'll play each other in 2024 and 2025. I think we'll get that announcement. So stay tuned on that front. Let's play some punch and audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Greg McElroy. Oregon State, after its loss to Washington, fell all the way to 16. Greg McElroy says that's too much for the Beavers. Punch it. I'm trying to figure out the justification for dropping Oregon State five spots. I mean, I look at all these teams that have slid up. Oregon State sitting there 11, or uh, sitting through 11 games at eight and three, with some pretty decent wins at their disposal, and yet they free fall. Whereas a team like Tennessee gets absolutely boat raced in two consecutive weeks, and they drop three spots. So I'm trying to figure out the justification for the significant drop of the Beavers and not the Volunteers. Well, you're trying to make common sense out of something that isn't sensical, Greg McElroy. Uh, look, you got a committee in a room. They're trying to 
justify putting teams uh, that are well in front of Oregon State where they're supposed to be. Um, you know, it, it was interesting that Washington moves from five to four by beating Oregon State, and Oregon State, because they lost to the number four team, you know, ends up falling five spots. It yeah, there's there's a little bit of hey, you have three losses that's going on there. Uh, keep keep an keep an eye on that because Oregon Oregon badly needs a top twenty five win. They isn't, don't have one. Isn't that just an SEC bias type of thing? It is, but I think once you get like when you have one loss, the committee tends to group one loss teams together like a herd. Then you have two losses, they group them together. Then you have three losses, they group them together. And I think that third loss is really just too much for the committee to say Oregon should Oregon State should be in front of some two loss teams particularly because it's a loss to Washington State that is really holding them back. Pete Carroll, Seahawks coach, he has a big game on Thanksgiving Day. 49ers, Seahawks. Pete Carroll says it feels like playoff time. Punch it. Oh, I would hope so. I would think so. Um, yeah, well, you know, this is it, – it it's just feels like playoff time for the rest of the season. If we're so fortunate to be rolling in that kind of area, it just feels like that. Every game coming up is, is crucial, and uh, this one is, you know, just kind of the – you know, this – as obvious as it gets, you know. So I hope the fans are juiced and ready to go, and we will be in and uh, make it a great night. We'll look good in the unis and all that. It'll, it'll be an exciting night. <laughs> oh, he's like, we'll look good in the unis. There's Pete Carroll. Uh, big game, Thanksgiving. You know, traditionally, you used to get these Thanksgiving rivalries. You'd get the Packers playing, the Lions playing, the Dallas Cowboys playing. Now the NFL getting some other teams involved. 49ers Seahawks will be a good one that I think a lot of people in the western part of the United States will pay attention to. Seahawks are one of those teams that should be on the bubble for, the, for a playoff spot. And, you know, here's an opportunity for them to get a W on a short week against a team that has been a little bit up and down. Niners have not been dominant after winning the first five games of the season, but they look like they have it back together in some semblance. But these games are always fun. I think they're always interesting. And I think for Seahawks fans, it's obviously an opportunity to prove that you belong if you're a Seahawks fan. Moving on, uh, Heather Denich says that the Michigan-Ohio State game on Saturday is an elimination game for the college football playoff. Punch it. It's an elimination game, in my opinion, for Michigan. Because if Michigan doesn't win this game, they will have one win, one against the CFP top 25 opponent. That's Penn State. Their first four games were all at home. They didn't have a non-conference game against a power five opponent. Those are the things that will doom you in that selection committee meeting room on selection day if you don't win your conference. Ohio State is a little bit different because it has wins against Penn State and Notre Dame, which was the blueprint for getting into the CFP last year. The difference last year was that USC lost in the Pac-12 conference championship game, dropped out, and it was a no-brainer. This year, there are too many other contenders. I think it's going to be extremely difficult for any conference to have a team get in that doesn't win its league. Yeah, conference championship is supposed to be weighted heavily by the committee. I think it's important for Pac-12 fans to watch that Ohio State-Michigan game and hope that somebody wins it decisively. 
You don't want overtime. You don't want a one possession. Somebody won on a last-second throw or a field goal. You don't want that because it would suggest that both teams are worthy of being in the top four. Keep an eye on it. That's why Washington and Oregon, in particular, need to play well. Aaron Rodgers reacting to Tom Brady's, the NFL is mediocre take. Aaron Rodgers says, yeah, Brady's not uh, not that far off the mark. Punch it. Definitely, I think, as much as anything, I agree with the last thing that he said, and is that the rule changes have created a lot of bad habits. And, you know, when I was a young player, too, the greatest fear you have as a quarterback is getting one of your guys hurt. You know, throwing the ball high over the middle, exposing the guy and him getting rocked and him leaving the game. That's just That was your biggest fear. So you were smart about certain plays and throws of just not making them. And I think, you know, if I'm looking at this from a real big picture, like there's a softening of society that, uh, oh, that has definitely yeah. Yeah. caused uh, things like this. Look at all the sports. You know, what, what happened to hockey? Hockey is not doesn't have the enforcer position Whoa. anymore. Why? Because we need the fighting out of hockey. It's too violent. Oh, stage. You know, and people don't want to see the violence on TV. I think people want to see football be a collision sport. Collision sport, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers probably needs to go talk to, like, some of the former NFL players that were suing the NFL or joining a class action against the NFL saying, hey, I, I don't I don't remember where my car is parked. You know, I don't, I, I've got a brain injury. Um, I get what the NFL is trying to do, and I get why they're doing it. I do agree they've gone too far, and I agree that it, sometimes it doesn't feel like football. It's too in touch in the pocket. Moving on. Joel Klatt talking about Washington. Washington's in the top four. Klatt says, good, they deserve to be there. Punch it. So here they are, 11-0. Their best wins are now Oregon State on the road. They have beaten Oregon. They have beaten Arizona. That's a hell of a resume. And you can make the argument, it's a better resume than Michigan. It's it's a better resume than Georgia. If you actually look at what, what Washington has done, they've got the number one strength of record in America. Okay, so no team has a better strength of record. And when you look at their strength of schedule, 35th, it's actually the toughest strength of schedule, the best strength of schedule of any of the top six teams in the country. So they not only have excellent wins, including a team in Oregon that everybody believes is a top six, seven team, but they also have played in terms of its width and depth, a better and tougher schedule than anybody else in the top six. I agree with everything that Klatt's saying. And I understand that Washington is in this position. But the truth is that the Week 7 win that Washington had over Oregon has the potential to be a nothing burger. If Oregon wins this Civil War game on Friday and Oregon plays Washington for the Pac-12 championship, Week 7 suddenly becomes irrelevant to the conversation. The winner of the Pac-12 championship game, if it's Oregon and Washington, is going to the playoff. Washington's done everything to validate itself to this point. It's taken care of business. It's awesome. It's great. So uh, all of that ends up being a uh, being a uh, positive situation for Washington, but it, it also benefits Oregon. Dan Lanning's coming up next. Oregon football coach will join us. I hope you're here for it. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. 
127th Civil War football game on Friday, Autzen Stadium. Game will be on Fox. I'll be there. It'll be my 20th. Not bragging, but uh, I, I love this series. I love that these teams play each other. Uh, I love that uh, I've got a chance to get to know this rivalry series a little bit. Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, joining us. Um, how are you, man? I'm doing good, John. How are you? I was just wondering, like, who picks the music for your intros and stuff? Are you? Is that you? Not me. Cooler people than me. What do you have? You have a suggestion for us? No, no. I just like I just haven't heard that song in a long time. The woohoo song. I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's a good pull. I feel like that was like back when I was in high school. Maybe. Are maybe you saying that? that? Wait a minute. Are you saying that uh, the music's outdated, or are you saying, hey, that's good? No, that's, no, that's a flashback. no. I mean, it's good for me. Well, who's your target audience? Are you looking you. for everybody? I <laughs> know. It's if, you. Yeah. If your target audience is a 37-year-old, yeah, you're all spot on. If you want to get some of these younger guys, you got to throw some NBA young boy on there or something. I don't know. I don't know if we need them yet. You know, right? I, I, I'm, I'm more. I'm more into like the 37-year-old homeowner, father, husband. <laughs> Owns a barbecue pit, knows what he's doing with a smoker, you know. Has watched a few movies. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Just keep that's, doing what you're doing. It sounds like that's, that's sounds my like God. you're spot on. Hey, uh, do you do a turkey? Are you a turkey guy? Does Sophia do the turkey? Who does the turkey Thanksgiving? <laughs> I don't do a turkey. Um, like this year, I don't think we're like. Do you know we play on Friday? You you know we play on Friday. Right? I know you like, play I mean, like, on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So like. Appreciate it. I'm but, thankful. Like, let's go win a ball game, right? Like, but like, you'll eat. I don't think we're doing Thanksgiving tomorrow. Well, not you, tomorrow. Like, we got we got meetings. We got like I got work to do tomorrow. Like, uh, give me my cup of coffee and uh, <laughs> we. So we had a Thanksgiving dinner today with our team. So okay. I know it's Wednesday. But you but celebrate we had a Thanksgiving dinner today with the team. Yeah, absolutely. So check that box. Like, let's go play football, right? All right, I got a question for you because uh, you, but your kids are amazing and they're adorable, and I've seen them at games and they're wearing jerseys, and I've noticed mm-hmm. that a couple of them wear fifty-eight, and you know not all three are running around in a fifty-eight jersey. How do they pick the jerseys that they wear? These are all great questions for my wife because um, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Thanksgiving. Like, she she probably does tell them what to wear, what not to wear, whatever, but. You know, someday maybe she could fill in for me instead of me on the yes. show. She could do it. Yes. And you guys could, you know, these tough, hard-hitting questions about, like, what the boys were to games. Because no, I don't but, know the answer to that. I, but I thought, like, I, I think it's, you know, you, you're wearing number 58. I'm like, is that their favorite player? Is that, Do they have, like, a connection with... So I know, like, with... Penny wore it before, and, and now it's Jackson Powers Johnson. Um, yeah. I think I saw Caden rocking a 10 the other day, and that's Bo. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so... I, but I don't. I don't want to tell you wrong because I don't know the science okay. behind it. I'll I don't know her. if it's a, that's the clean jersey. I don't think they have a bunch of jerseys, you know. Yeah. And maybe that's what we got to do is start rotating how many jerseys they have. I don't. I don't know how many they have. But uh, are they Kansas City yeah, Chiefs fans? I don't know the science behind. Did you? They have did to you, be. They're, you mold, they don't have yeah. a choice. Yeah, they Wait. don't have a choice. I don't know if they're as passionate about it as I am, you know, because I've, I've told you before that I've got. Great sons, but I don't know if they love football quite like I love football yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they don't have a choice. They have to be Chiefs fans. That's that's not a choice. Dan Lanning answering all the hard-hitting questions. Uh, let's pivot that's to it. the game. Um, Oregon State, Washington on film. You saw it. You know those teams. 
What did you think of that game as you watch it on film? It's different than watching it, like, you know, from a media perspective or a fan perspective. Mm -hmm. What did you see? Well, just a great battle. I mean, two, you know, really well-coached teams with with good players on both sides of the ball. And uh, you see a play here or there, either direction, and you're looking at a different result in that game. So, um, you know, I've said it before, but I'm always impressed with the way Jonathan's teams play here at the end of the year. I just think they play their best ball at the end. I mean, the way they finished off last season against Florida in the bowl game and um, how they're playing right now, they're playing their best ball. They're a really physical team. Um, they've got great talent, and uh, they've done a really good job coaching those guys. And uh, last week's game was a battle, and I know they didn't come out on top of it, but, I mean, I think anybody that watched that game could have seen it. You know, one change here, one change there could have been a different result. I look at good teams, and you often will see good teams that, you know, win a lot of close games, and Washington's done that this year, and, you know, you guys have won games. And what do you think is the difference – is there is there a common factor? Is it experience? Is it the quarterback play? Is there something in close games that especially matters? Well, I'd say more than anything, probably just experience, right? Like what what's your team experienced already? Um, you know, and and uh, you always hope to come out on the right side of games like that. But if you have experience in games like that, you can learn from games like that. And uh, obviously, Washington's done a great job of that so far this season. You know, Oregon State's had some tough. Um, battles, but have come out on the right side of a lot of those. And I, I know that we have a team here at, at Oregon that's certainly learned from every experience, wins and losses. And uh, when you have experience, you get a chance to win tight games. You guys, health-wise, how are you feeling? Yeah, great. I mean, it's at the end of the year, so nobody feels great, but um, we feel good. We feel really good. I, I think it, a Friday game gives you guys an opportunity. Obviously, you know, you got a stage that everyone will be paying attention to. It's a big game. There's a Pac-12 championship, at, you know, at, at, at stake, and you guys have a chance to get to Vegas. And, you know, how do you, how do you keep you guys um, – you, you want them to know the stakes, but you also want them to kind of just, you know, play focused and play their best football. Is there, is there a, uh, a way that you have to manage that as a coach, or have they figured that out at this point of their college careers? Yeah, they figured it out. Look, I don't have to make this game any bigger than it is. It's big, and uh, our players know that. They knew that ever since we walked out of the locker room at NC, um, you know, in, in Washington not that long ago. So yeah. um, they realize how important every single game is. I don't have to make it about that. It's about us executing. And uh, this will be an emotional game, but it's one where you can't let – um, the emotions be bigger than the execution. And um, I think every one of our players understand the goal at hand and I'm really proud of this team and the way that they've worked so hard this year and uh, excited to see him get out there on the field on Friday. Jonathan Smith yesterday told me that The Godfather was one of his top movies. You approve of that. Um, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Which one, though? Does he like them all? Does he start with number one, I guess? He, he just said Godfather. He's not into movies the way you are. He's, you know, he's, yeah. he's I mean, not. Godfather's great. It's just like, do you have three hours to sit down and really lock it in? Um, you know, Godfather 2 would be my pick, but they're all good. Why do you like Godfather 2 better? It's a little more action, I think, you know, I don't know. Um, I feel like that's when, that's when Al Pacino really comes out, you know, and you really get to experience all of him. But, uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. Kind of like Oregon, Washington 2. That I'm looking forward to the action in that. <laughs> and, well, we got to take care of uh, 
we 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 got work in front of us right now, and we're certainly the work in front of us is a, is a great challenge. This is a good team we're about to play, man. I'm really excited to play them. Um, it's going to be a fun physical game, but uh, it it certainly starts there. Last season, Oregon State in the fourth quarter just ran and ran and ran. Your guys, yeah, did you guys remember that? Take that personally. <laughs> oh, remember it well. Yeah, we remember it very well, and um, credit to them. You know, you look at the game that you're walking in, I think 34-17 in the fourth quarter, and then for us not to be able to finish that off the way we needed to was, was you know, very disappointing and an opportunity for self-reflection as coaches and players both. So credit to them. They did a great job, and we didn't do good enough. But, um, yeah, we, we certainly remember it well. There's something in this game that I think – you know, only because I've been here a while and I've seen these two teams, these programs play each other. I think these are the two most physical teams in the conference. And you know, you could talk me out of that, but I, I think you guys have a physicality to you that wasn't typical of Oregon teams under Chip Kelly and other coaches. They were they were good. They just weren't they weren't physical in the way that you guys are physical. And I think Oregon State's that way. Do you see that on film, or do you see that in your own team when you're playing? Yeah, I certainly see it with our guys. Um, and Oregon State is definitely a physical team as well. You know, one of the things that's been fun for me this year um, to experience is, like, you know, last year being here, I thought we had a, a really talented team. Um, but I don't know that they were always excited when I told them, hey, boys, we're banging in practice today. And this year it's more like if we're not banging in practice, they're like, hey, coach, what's going on? What do you mean? What do we mean we're not sudden in practice? And it's that fires you up as a coach. So, we have we have a team that seeks contact that that likes contact and uh, Oregon State certainly plays a physical brand of football as well so um, it should be a fun matchup. What does that sound like when you guys are banging in practice? Well, I'm not good at like sound effects with my mouth or whatever, but just like a, like cars crashing, things like that. I guess is what I would describe it as. Right? But like if I blindfolded you and you could just listen to mm-hmm. practice, would you be able to tell me, yeah. "Oh yeah, this is my kind of practice." Well, that's kind of what I always tell our players: is like, "Hey, if we can close our eyes, we'll know like if we're practicing well if we can hear it." And um, they do a pretty good job of that. When when you were a kid, did you have a uh, Kansas City Chiefs jersey that you wore? You can answer that. I don't have to go to your wife for that one. But you know, did you have a? Yeah, did you have a Derek, Derek Thomas? Thomas? Derek, Derek Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. I think I asked you that before. Derek Thomas jersey. I don't know if you have or not, but, yeah, I had a Derek Thomas jersey for sure. Are your parents coming to this game? Are they out there? It's a holiday, or are they just – They're not. No, they're not. No, they they, – I think they got a big Thanksgiving crew that they they got coming through the house there in Richmond, Missouri. So I I know they'll be tuned in, but, uh, no, they will not be at this game. Okay, Thanksgiving tradition in your household as a kid. What do you remember? Uh, I mean, my grandma made, like, this awesome, like, pumpkin custard and stuffing. It was always really cool. I mean, but really the whole crew kind of came to, that, to the house, and we watched the Macy's, you know, day parade. We yep. watched the Cowboys and the Lions play, and we eat way more than we should. And uh, a lot of great friends and family and fellowship. The, uh, you know, the pundits will say, they they want to see how you guys look. They want to see how all, all these teams look. They've got to rank the committee's got to rank teams. Are you focused on beauty points, the beauty pageant, the style, or is it just winning? Or you want to obviously as a coach, maybe you just want to play the best possible game you can play. There you go. 
that's it. Go 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 play the best your you know your ability. Play to your standard, and the rest takes care of itself. I appreciate you coming on the show. I'll ask your wife about the yeah. jerseys. I'll ask your wife about Thanksgiving. What's going on? Uh, we won't uh, we won't bother with that anymore. But I'm looking forward to this. Like you know, it's a an opportunity. This is you know I don't know. I I think the ads are going to figure it out. I do think you'll play Oregon State moving forward. I think that's going to happen. But I think um, this one feels special. It does. Uh, you guys have an opportunity to play for more than just a rivalry and more than just a football game. It's uh, it's you know it's a gateway to where you want to take the program, isn't it? Yeah, this is uh, it's certainly a fun opportunity to sit in front of us, and uh, one of those things that remind you how thankful you are. So, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for, John? You know, family. I'm, I'm thankful for family. I mean, they they keep me and these three daughters keep me in check. Got a great wife. Thankful for you coming on the show all the time. Jonathan Smith came on yesterday. You two, we have two really good coaches in the state. I have a lot of gratitude, man. I was walking around all day today. I was like, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for the position I'm in, the job I have, and the people I get to meet and talk with, including you. We're blessed, man. We're blessed. Yeah, and I think I, uh, I think you. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun on Friday. And you said it like you had that news conference a couple of Mondays ago where everybody was asking you about the jobs and everything. And I thought you you really spoke from the heart. And I think you just it was like a slam dunk. Like here's what I'm the position I'm in and what I'm grateful for. And you know, a lot of coaches don't have that context. I think a lot of coaches are looking other places, thinking about the things they don't have. I've heard coaches that coaches have bitched and bellyached to me about we don't have enough urinals in our practice. We don't have this. You know, you came into that news conference and you just kind of shut it all down. <laughs> I've got a funny comment about urinals, but I'm not going to say it right now. Just basically pulling that up. But yeah, no, we're <laughs> blessed, man. We're blessed, absolutely. How lucky are we? What about the urinals? Come on. Nothing. I just saw a picture on the internet or whatever this week that, that I thought was interesting about somebody that apparently wasn't able to find a urinal. And uh, oh. Um, Oh, yeah, they need a few more at Research Stadium. It's beautiful. <laughs> but have you ever heard of enough urinals? There's never enough urinals. But never, you know what? Yeah. We're blessed. We're blessed. So, you know what? They, do you, have um, you ever, you've never been as a fan to, like, all these Pac-12 stadiums. i got to tell you, like, at Stanford, you walk in there. I used to go to games at Stanford as a kid. You walk into the bathroom at Stanford, it's a trough on the ground. You just, you're peeing on the ground. And, and it's like a bunch of dudes shoulder to shoulder just kind of quietly peeing into this trough, nobody saying a word. And then you go to some other places and they got the fancy automatic urinals and a line out the door. Like, you know, there's we don't have to complicate this thing. Is there a correlation, though, like between like solid urinals and good football teams or no? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so, yeah, but you don't want to. It doesn't wanna, matter. But that, vid- that picture I saw or that video, that guy had a strong stream. That was some steam coming off that. That was that was not never, a not bad. Yeah, I never thought we'd get to this point, but I know. yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It looks solid. Look like he, yeah, <laughs> strong for sure. All right, this interview is disintegrating. All right, Dan Lanning, I will see you Friday. Good luck to you at the game, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, John. Appreciate you, man. Have a good one. All right, there he is, Oregon's coach. Never know where the interviews are going to go. Yeah. Uh, start the interview. He's telling me, you know, we've got the wrong landing on the show. Need to be talking to Sophia about, you know, why the kids are wearing the 58 jerseys and the 10 jer- I just thought it was interesting. A couple of his kids 
happen to be wearing, uh, you know, number 58. And, cu- and one of them's wearing number 10. And I thought, okay, are those just the jerseys that were available? Or is there a reason? Like, do they have a favorite player on Oregon's team? I don't know. Good stuff with Dan Lanning. See, we had Jonathan Smith on yesterday. Great interview. Went places. Dan Lanning today. <laughs> talking, end up talking about that, that video. I don't know if you've seen the video he's referring to. It's at Reeser Stadium. It's last Saturday night. And there's a little bit of a problem on the west side of the stadium. So west side of the stadium is beautiful. There's a lot that is right about the west side of the stadium. I told Oregon State, you did it right. You did it, you know. But I haven't been there as a fan during a game when there's lines. And apparently they're going to have to come up with a better solution for the restrooms, particularly on the west side, to make the line move faster. And and the issue is that it's individual urinals and there's not enough of them. So a fan who apparently did not have time to wait in line relieved himself on the concourse, and somebody videoed it. Do we know if it was an Oregon State or Washington fan? Because I was going through the comments, and some people were saying it was a Washington fan. Could be. Could be a Washington fan. And here's the other thing. like, I I was going through the comments, too, and I saw somebody say, hey – my 70-year-old dad was waiting in line, and he had to go, and, you know, there's just nowhere to go. You're waiting in line. You're stuck. And, you know, for some people, that's not, you know, you can't stand there for 25 minutes waiting. So Oregon State's going to have to figure that out next year. Either they're going to have to bring in porta-potties to try to shorten the line and put, a, like, a bank of porta-potties somewhere, or they're going to have to go back into the bathrooms, and they're going to have to reconfigure and go, okay, take all the urinals out. Do what Stanford did. Stanford's bathrooms, and you know, and maybe you know, maybe I'm dating myself here, but Stanford's bathrooms used like gravity as the method for flushing. In Stanford's bathroom, it was a trough on the ground, and literally, it's just slanted so that all the urine is running one direction, and that's how it goes in the men's restroom at Stanford, at least how I remember it. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Well, my conversations with Jonathan Smith yesterday, really interesting. I left that conversation thinking a lot about whether or not he's going to be at Oregon State long term. As you know, a lot of people listen to that interview and listen to the podcast of it, and I wrote about it, and it became a topic of conversation, I think, all last night and all this morning. And uh, Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State, issued a statement this morning that I have no doubt he would not have issued had Jonathan Smith not come on the radio show yesterday and said the things that he said. Um, We've talked about it a little bit today. I'm going to open the phone lines if you'd like to talk more about what you heard from Jonathan Smith yesterday and what it means and what he should do. Feel free to call in at 503-417-7575. Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, different conversation today, but hell, there was some range to that conversation. Stephen, we start the talk talk, you know, about music. Then I'm asking him about Thanksgiving. He's deferring to his wife. I'm asking him about his kids' jersey selections because I want to know, like, how do the kids pick their jerseys? Like, do they have a favorite player? What's a what's that about? And he's saying, you know, you might as well have Sophia on the show. Then we go into some football. Then we go into some Godfather. Then we just start talking at the end of that interview, and it, and it devolves into a conversation about the fan who was urinating at Reeser Stadium last Saturday night 
And uh, what did you make of that interview? Is that a good interview or a bad interview? I mean, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, very entertaining. It, it makes Dan Landing come across just as a, you know, as a good person that, like, you know, is, is aware of what's going on. And um, I loved his answers that he had for certain questions. Like, you know, like I, I do that, too, where people ask me questions and I don't know the answer. And it's like, go go ask my wife. Like, she knows. She's smarter than I am. Like, she knows the answer. I don't know. And, like, so, you know, I think a lot of us have been in that situation. I loved his answer of, uh, you know, about Thanksgiving. And he's like, we're not celebrating Thanksgiving, John. You know we play Friday. I'm thankful. I want to get a win. Like, that, a real football answer. It was just, it was wide-ranging. It, it was good across the board. And I thought, you know what, he, it seemed like he wanted to keep talking. Like, it, you know, it was wrapping up where you could have wrapped the interview up. You kind of did. And he just, he went on a rant about, uh, you know, the guy urinated at Reese's Stadium. Like, he wanted to talk about it. He, I think he thinks it's funny, so he just wanted to bring it up. I thought it was really good. I think sometimes a lot of people, we get caught in this industry and in talking about X's and O's and 12 personnel, 13 personnel, stuff. you know, the A-gap, stuff like that. What coverage are they in? And I often find that the coaches don't even want to have that conversation. They'd much rather talk about other things. We talked about a lot of other things with Dan Lanning. Anna's in the studio and a part of my job interviewing coaches is um, is about you know helping listeners get to know them. You know, we talked about the uh, urination scene at Racer Stadium. I guess that's interesting. I learned a little bit about Dan Lanning. I learned that he had a Derek Thomas jersey as a kid that he wore. I learned that his uh, parents are having Thanksgiving in Kansas City. They won't be coming out to Eugene. I, I learned that Lanning had Thanksgiving today with his team. Will not celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow. I don't know why they can't just eat. Can they? Can they eat turkey? You know. Um, you know. I don't know. When you're interviewing somebody, what are you trying to get out of it? Well, I mean, you're just trying to get beyond the coach speak. I think that's half the challenge when you're talking to people who are used to doing interviews, and you know, sportsing interviews is what I like to call them. Oh, we sports real hard today, you know, but their team sports better than we did. And so you're getting beyond that, which I appreciate. But it, I, I find that it only works when you are interviewing somebody who is comfortable in their own skin. And that's where I think, you know, people really get a chance to learn about Dan Lanning because he does strike me as somebody who is just, he's not trying to put on like a show. He's not trying to, um, like the imposter syndrome kind of thing. He's not trying to be somebody that he's not. He just... I think is how he presents himself not that far off like we all do it to some extent but that's why I think the conversation with him is comfortable right you've tried to have that same conversation with other people and they some of them don't want to have it and they don't want to have it they're much more comfortable staying in the narrow lane of well let's just talk sports let's keep it to the football because I don't really want to talk about anything but yeah and I think um you know, I've criticized coaches in the past who want to only talk about football. Mark Helfrich was one of those guys. He wasn't as comfortable talking about other things. Uh, I feel like I can push Dan Lanning into other areas, and he's willing. He's a willing participant mm -hmm. to go in those ways. And I think that does endear him in some ways to, uh, to um, some of the other uh, listeners who are eavesdropping on the conversation. Jonathan Smith yesterday similar type interview like he went places in the interview that he did not go with other media members when they asked him about you know his job status he declined interviews with national media members in the last week he didn't want to do them 
He you know, was basically saying, I'm going to stick to football, stick to football. Yesterday was the first time he talked about it, and he talked, I thought, pretty authentically and candidly about but, it. I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, like, how long have you known him now? How long have you, you know, established a working relationship with him? I think there's a mutual trust there that you're not going to hose him, misquote him, put it out of context, because... You know, let's be real. Like, if he does that same interview with somebody with a national media or something, there's a high chance that that story gets turned and twisted around and the context of what was said isn't included in what ultimately ends up in print or broadcast. Does is, is that mean that you have not had contact with those schools or your agent hasn't? Or, you know, people were worried. They keep asking me, is he leaving? Is he yeah. leaving? I said, it's not his style. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. It's like, yeah. I've got an agent that's got a job. He best be finding out what, what is out there and, and people calling in, right? I mean, that's how that works. I can tell you from his, his side, he best be working just because I'm paying him so much, right? They get a percentage <laughs> of I'm making him a couple million bucks. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. so I'm not trying to be sarcastic. So, right. And I think... Any coach, they're aware of what's potentially out there through if their if their agents doing their job. And again, I'm not trying to dodge the question or anything, but I'm also trying to be truthful here yeah. of how this thing works. There you go, Jonathan Smith, open to can of worms, but also I thought really is trying to be truthful there. I wonder how this factors in the game on Friday. I wonder. If his team hears this, or does he address this with his team today? Uh, I'm curious to see if there will be an impact on Friday. Uh, Bruce is in Portland and has called in. we got a line open at 503-417-7575. Bruce, what's on your mind? Hey, John, a couple things. I think Anna hit the nail on the head. When you're doing your interviews, you're really good about getting into other things other than coach speak. And I think it kind of puts the, the coaches and people you're interviewing at ease. It's kind of nice to hear every now and then. Um, I, John, um, in regard to his coaching decision, I'm a du- duck, obviously. I grew up essentially at Austin Stadium, but Jonathan Smith's the best thing that's happened to Oregon State in a long, long time. And it's unfortunate that the league broke apart right now. I think that's going to be the biggest factor in trying to retain that guy, because what the heck is OSU's future? Who are they going to play, and how is that going to affect recruiting? If they can get something on paper, obviously before the uh, portal deadline is critical, it's coming up in a couple weeks, um, it would be beneficial to everybody that is affiliated with Oregon State. Um, I, I personally, and in, in listening to him, I think he's going to stay. There hasn't been a coach that's left Oregon or Oregon State that really has success anywhere else. Everybody thinks this is a stepping stone school. I don't think that's the case anymore. Both these programs are on the up and up, um, and I think it's a good place to land, especially being an alum here and growing up here. It's like, where else would you want to live, you know? Um, and then, Anna, a couple things you said last earlier in the week regarding the Civil War and Oregon State wanting to, to play Washington more than they would Oregon. I don't think that's true at all. Every Oregon State fan I know relishes in the fact that Oregon State has a chance to beat their big brother, as we're called. Um, they look forward to this game forever. They've looked forward to it for 100 years now, and if, if it goes away, it's going to be really sad. I've heard callers say, why do we want to play Oregon State if it's a you know, potential loss? It's tradition and it's history, and they're right in your backyard. I think this game would do both schools a benefit, especially Oregon State being, you know, especially us moving to the Big Ten and, and going where we're going. It would help everybody and keep this rivalry going. And, John, I think Oregon is 
on a different track this year. They are going to beat Oregon State. Um, it would be a shame that for Oregon to lose and have Arizona backdoor yeah. into the championship game. That would suck, you know. Yeah. And then I agree. I, and, and I go beyond that. I think Oregon has got its eye on the playoff, not just making it, but battering inside the playoff. And I just like that he called in to disagree. I love that this is a place where we can disagree. Thank you. Anna's not always right is the, is the answer to <laughs> yeah, that yeah. question. Yeah. Five at five's coming up, and we've got a treat for you in the five o'clock hour. Anna's going to give us the five at five coming up here. Five biggest, baddest stories anywhere in sports. Our correspondent, Matthew Palumbo, will be joining us at 524 in what will be a delightful segment of radio, guaranteed. How would you describe Palumbo, Anna? Energetic. Knowledgeable. Knowledgeable. He'll be on point. I'm excited for this. And a little, like, eccentric. Okay. That's not bad. Which is great for a broadcaster. All right. So Palumbo will be with us. He's going to talk about high school sports in the state of Oregon including the 6A championship game and all the all the games that are going to be going on 6A. on Friday. 6A. 5A? 5A? 6A? I don't know. Steven, help me out there. I want to say it's 6A. Why would you? Why, if you don't know, this is one of my peeps. Okay? This is one of my peeps. You know what I'm going to say, Anna. I know. I have a peeve. Like, I I appreciate people who are helpful. If I say something that isn't accurate, let me know. Okay? I appreciate that. I want to get it right. If if somebody, I often in public will overhear somebody talking about something, and then somebody else who has expertise in that area will raise their voice and chime in. You know, like maybe somebody's talking about, you know, oh, I've got a bad back. My back's bothering me. This is what's going on. You might have a chiropractor who's sitting two seats away who goes, oh, that is, uh, you know, that is your C11 that's uh, giving you a problem there. (laughs) That's helpful. What's not helpful is when somebody who doesn't know what's going on or doesn't know the difference between 5A and 6A suddenly interjects and goes, yeah, 5A, 6A. Or worse yet, somebody who doesn't know the directions to some place tries to give directions, or somebody who doesn't hasn't been through something or experienced something or has any kind of knowledge of it suddenly raises their voice in an attempt to be helpful, but they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm always looking at this person, and it happens all the time all over the place. If you don't know what's going on, it's okay to just not say anything. And I'm not talking to you, Anna. Oh, you are. No, I'm not. No, you are. I'm not. Earlier today, I had an experience in the wild where I was over, like, not sure about the directions somewhere, and somebody who doesn't also know the directions tried to help me. And I was looking going, you don't know either. Well, why are you, like, why are you trying to help me? What is that about? People just want to be helpful, Mm -hmm. even if they don't have the answer? (laughs) Because, like, I don't, like, if, like, I'm not a financial analyst. Right. So if I'm, like, at the post office and mm-hmm. two guys are talking. Yeah. And one guy's going, I don't know. I don't know if I should be uh, buying a uh, CD or a T-bill. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, you know what you ought to do? I'm not doing that. 
I'm just going to hear it, and I'm going to go, oh, those guys are having a serious conversation. If I were an expert in such things, I would probably say, hey, I happen to be a financial advisor. Here's my card. Give me a call. I can talk to you about what you maybe should be doing. But I'm not going to do that. But all the time, people do that. People all the time who don't know what they're talking about will try to be helpful. You can't be helpful if you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not talking to you. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. You just said 6A? Yeah. And I, and I went, oh, am I wrong? No. I think I'm right. No, you're right. I think it's right. You're right. 6A championship. 5A, I, 6A. Full confession, I have lost track of how many A's are in the high school football room. And why do they do it that way, too? Why can't they just say Division One is the highest? Well, that's that's what's confusing to me. So, like, you know, 6A is obviously the larger schools. So you've got Tualatin versus Central Catholic. And, like, I, I get confused because, like, 1A is, you know, you got Echo playing Joseph High School. Okay, right. That should so, be six A. That's what I'm saying. That's what came <laughs> and why, out of where's my the mouth. A? And why does it have to be A? O S A A. I don't no, know. No, but why not just six? I don't know. Division six. I don't know these things. Why isn't it like in college football? Division one's the top division. Yeah. Division two's beneath it. Division three, then NAIA. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I know. Why is Division one? <laughs> it's just. In high schools, the smallest division. <laughs> That's why I didn't mean to throw you off. It was one of those things that I thought it in my head and was momentarily confused, and then I realized it was coming out of my mouth, and then and then you know what. what but do you know what, where am I at on this thing? Where what? like, you know, let's just say you've never made homemade pasta before. Yeah. And then yeah. you're in the grocery store, mm-hmm. and I'm in the aisle going, I'm making homemade pasta, and I'm talking way too loud. And I'm talking to somebody else. I'm making homemade pasta. I really don't know what I'm doing. Are you going to feel motivated to be like, you know what you need to do, and then tell me? <laughs> In most cases, no. Why do people do that? I don't know. Ask Stephen. He seems like he would have Stephen, it's one of my biggest pe- It is. I think it might be my biggest peeve. When people who don't know Jack try to tell us about Jack. Uh, I think people just love to think they are very smart. And it's the problem that we have like with our phones. We can just look everything up on Google. And so I think we all just assume we know everything. We're all experts. We're all experts on everything. It's the American yeah. way. <laughs> I guess so. Well, then I'm very un-American because I walk yeah. around most of the time feeling really dumb about everything. But I have, I have like heard. I like to set the bar real yeah. low. I, I no know my, I know yes. the things that I know. We're having two different conversations now. No, we're I, not. I we're know not. what I know. So, I know. I know what. Never, I... You never go and just like fake it. Like someone will ask you a question, you just fake being an expert on something. No, I think it's no. fun to do that sometimes. <laughs> no, because I like, like, okay, but let's apply this to different areas of the life. Yeah. Like I'm not giving medical advice. Yeah. I'm not going to tell somebody these are two med. I'm not going to act like I'm a pharmacist all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody's like, can I take these two medications together? Yeah. If you are raising your hand or your voice in that scenario, if somebody goes, I don't know if I should be taking these two medications together, you need to not talk <laughs> unless you're a pharmacist. But that's like a serious thing. Like earlier today, Judah was saying, you know, he, he drives around with earbuds in his ears, and I go, oh, that's totally illegal. And I was so sure of it. <laughs> I look it up. It's not illegal. It's I de- think it it's is illegal. illegal. No, it's legal. It's I definitely it's looked not it very up. smart. It's legal in Oregon, illegal in Washington. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. You should not be allowed but to drive I, around with earbuds in. I was so convinced that I was just like, I, you know, oh, it's totally illegal. I know this for a fact. And, you know, I went off and then I looked it up and I was <laughs> wrong. Does he not have a stereo in his car? He doesn't. He says he doesn't have the capabilities to uh, stream from his phone to this car. He needs an upgrade. We need to get an upgrade over there. Um, all right. Well, oh, so if he's just leaving Portland and going to Washington and listening to a podcast on what? his earbuds, he just needs to take those puppies off. He's got to break about like like the out of there. Jackson Bridge. Lawbreaker. Yeah. Well, Stephen, that's not what I'm exactly talking about, but um, like, but it's more like, it's more like. Uh, <laughs> but it kind of is. No. It's not exactly. I thought I was an it expert sounds, on the law. But, yeah, but it, it sounds like he emphatically told but Judah it wasn't like, correct. Fact. But it wasn't like Judah was looking for advice. Oh. And so my thing comes when somebody is expressing that they don't know something. Hey, I'm not aware of this, and they're kind of doing it in a way like, "Do you know it?" Mm-hmm. If the other person doesn't know it, yeah, then say, "I don't know either." <laughs> don't give us a fake answer. And then later it turns out, you didn't know either. You know, or in the course of talking, here's what you need to do. You need to go over this bridge, you take two lefts, you go right, and you know what, I really don't know. You know, like, like that's, you know, it's a peeve of mine. It is a peeve. I think, I think Stephen's onto something. Like, because we have Google, everybody thinks they're an expert on everything. Like, vegetarians telling me how to season my turkey. You know, that's, I don't need your intel. Okay, if you're a vegetarian, and I say to you, how do you season a turkey? Just say, I'm a vegetarian. Don't be like, here's what you want to do. A little paprika, a little bit of butter, put on some uh, some sea salt, and uh, every uh, every half hour, lather that bird with a little bit. Why? It's, I'm just, it happens all day long. You're so angry about this right it's now. It's a confederacy of dunces. Like, we need <laughs> this to stop. Okay? All right, here's the five at five. Let's do it. Oh, it get the better five at five. Better be on point. Better yeah. not be just a bunch of potpourri in your five at five. Do you know me? Number uh, one. Okay. Um, so, Brazil and Argentina soccer game. I know, I'm starting with soccer. But uh, it's pretty interesting. It's The game is delayed. The match is delayed because this giant fight breaks out between fans and police. This was like a bloody melee that ensued. Uh, It's not immediately clear what sparked the in-stadium violence, but uh, hey guys, it's not just like American stadiums and Raiders games. This happens elsewhere as well. This happened in uh, Rio de Janeiro, in the the stands, among fans. I I think this has been going on for a while. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on European soccer fights. But I've seen videos in cases where they've played games with no fans because the mm. your your you know the European crowds are uh, hostile with yeah. each other. So I don't think this is new bad fan behavior. It's mob like. There's a mob mentality when you're in a group like that. I think people get false confidence, and of course it's laced with alcohol. But it's not ideal. I don't like to I don't like to mix violence fan violence with games. Well, interestingly, so Lionel Messi's down there playing with, uh, you know, for Argentina. And he initially, and the players on his team were initially asking the fans to calm down. But pretty soon they saw that they weren't having any impact. So he led the team off the field and into the locker room. But then the goalkeeper on his team 
before joining his team in the tunnel, entered the fray at one point and briefly fought with police officer Emiliano Martinez. So, uh, yeah, interesting little scene there. Well, I, uh, I hope that fans behave themselves at all these rivalry games going on Friday, Saturday. Oh, yeah. It's just sports, guys. Can we not have a bunch of fights at Autzen Stadium? Can we not have people doing rude things to other people? Let, you know, I tell you, the Big Ten Conference and the SEC do better than the Pac-12. It's the way that fans welcome visiting fans. In the SEC and in the Big Ten, the, vi- the home fans want the visiting fans to have the best experience ever. It's like showing them their hometown. Best experience ever. What is that? Just Southern hospitality? There's a hospitality to it. I don't know if it's all Southern because it's in the Big Ten as well. Mm -hmm. But I have been all around that conference, all around those teams. We need to be more like that at Oregon and Oregon State. When you see opposing fans, put your arm around them. Invite them to your tailgate. Don't, you know, it's not a gang. You're not in a gang. This is not Crips and Bloods here. Like, you're, you're a Beaver fan and Duck fan. You've been through a lot of the same stuff together. You know, be a little more warming. Like, I went down to the LSU spring game a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I saw LSU fans just welcoming, like, people who are casual onlookers, whatever. You're like, what team do you root for? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just here. It, they just, it's open arms. Mm-hmm. It's bow ties and cocktails and open arms. Need more of that in the Pac-12 footprint, whether it's called the Pac-12 or not. Number two. Uh, Deion Sanders has multiple holes on his roster that need to be addressed in the offseason, but he's not planning on using money to recruit players, interestingly. He told The Athletic, we're not an ATM. That's not going to happen here. If you come to Colorado to play football for me and the Buffaloes, it's because you really want to play football and, uh, you know, receive uh, a wonderful education. All the business stuff will be handled on the back end, but we are not an ATM. You're not coming here to get rich unless you're really coming here with a plan to go to the NFL and get your degree. I like the message. I think it's a little different than I'm bringing Louis Vuitton luggage in and uh, we're moving the old furniture out. You know, it's a little different refrain. I think he's going to ultimately... Did he say that? Yeah, I think he's going to get to the right place. When, uh, you know, I think he'll eventually get to the right place. And he's he's poking around it a little bit right now. And I actually think Colorado's going to do really well in the Big Ten Conference because, I mean, excuse me, the Big 12 Conference, because I think the competition there is not as good. They're not going to have to contend with the Oregons and the Washingtons and the USC's and the UCLA's. It's, you know, the competition won't be as fierce. And I think Coach Prime will do well. Here's what he said. In December, we got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me, and it's Louis. I'm cut. It ain't gonna be no more of the mess that these wonderful fans, the student body, and some of your parents have put up with for probably two decades now. I'm coming, and when I get here, it's gonna be changed. They went one and eight last year in the Pac-12. They're one and seven right now. They play Utah on Saturday. Still, I think the first four weeks of the season were very different for Colorado. Number three. Okay, 
Uh, Victor Wembanyama's jersey from his NBA debut sells at auction. He's making a splash in the memorabilia marketplace. Marketplace, um, guys. I want you to guess how much did his jersey from his NBA debut sell for at auction? Uh, I'm going to say fifteen thousand uh, dollars. Way more than that. I was going to say, say hundred grand. Nope. Keep going. Wow. Two hundred fifty thousand. Above five hundred thousand. Wow. Keep going. Five hundred and fifty thousand. Above six hundred thousand. One dollar. Seven hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> seven hundred and sixty-two thousand. Wow. Seven hundred. Who has seven hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars sitting around? No, it's an investment. Somebody's invest buying it. Somebody's buying it as an investment. In a jersey. Somebody's betting he's going to become a hall of famer, and that they can turn that into a ten million dollar sale. You know, at the end of his career. That's an that's an investment for somebody. Somebody's making a speculative bet on him. It was predicted to go for like maximum one twenty. Seven sixty two. It's crazy. I wouldn't pay that for it. <laughs> Number four. Uh well, Damian Lillard's move from the Blazers to the Bucks was largely viewed as the biggest move of the offseason, but I guess you could argue that the Celtics have benefited just as much. Um, Drew Holiday uh, was acquired uh, from Portland, and uh, he's talking about it. He's saying that I think that the Milwaukee Bucks got what they wanted, so I can't be mad at that. A warning would have been cool, but other than that, I'm in the best place that I can be to compete against them. He is in a he's a really good player. He's a really good defender in particular. Blazer fans will remember him from uh, when he was with the New Orleans Pelicans and the Blazers were in the playoffs. Uh, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard had fits with him. He uh, it's interesting Stephen like Holiday is in an interesting position because in the Eastern Conference with the Celtics he's going to be put in a position in the playoffs where he can be one of those defenders that helps defend Damian Lillard in the playoffs. Yeah, no, exactly. The, you know, the Celtics, they needed a guy like that because they traded Marcus Smart, who was their defensive stopper, and then the Bucks go out and they get Dame. So Boston needs that guy, and then they answer with Drew Holiday, who, like you said, has been a pest to Damian Lillard his entire career. I mean, I, I, I would say he's probably done better than anybody does on Dame that I've seen, you know, when Dame was here in Portland. So I think it was a great pickup by Boston to go get Drew Holiday, who – is a Hall of Fame worthy defender. Like that's how good of a defender he is. So yeah, he's awesome, and it's it was a great pickup by Boston, a great fit also for him as well. So you know, compete. Did the Blazers throw shade at Lillard by trading him to Milwaukee, where he didn't want to go, and then trading Drew Holiday to Boston, who presumably will be in Milwaukee's way? A, a little bit, I guess. I, I also think that. Portland was just trying to get the most back for Dame like they said they were. They went on their word, and they said, we're trying to get the most value we can for Dame, and I think that's what they did. You know, But I would also say that Dame going to or Milwaukee was the best spot for him. So I think they did Dame right, but they also did him a little dirty by then uh, giving Boston Drew Holiday. Number five. Uh, Indianapolis Colts' Shaquille Leonard was released on Tuesday. But just hours after the Colts cut him, he was standing there making sure that families in Indianapolis have turkeys on Thanksgiving. So he spent six seasons with the Colts, 
found out that he was released, but proceeded to take time out of his day to hand out turkeys to anyone who needed one. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Good heart. Good priorities. What do you think about him saying on social media, he said, you know, he wanted to thank Indianapolis for accepting him and his family, yada, yada, yada. But then he says, I apologize for not bringing that trophy back to the 317. No, he wanted to win a Super Bowl. I apologize? Man. He takes his job seriously. Wants to win a Super Bowl. Interesting. Telling fans, you know. I like that. Yeah. Good for him. Makes you want to root for him. Yeah. He's doing a good job on his socials. He'll and a good job with his uh, his his actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, our listeners are smart. By the way, Judah may not be in the clear. Larry on Twitter <laughs> says it is legal to wear earbuds and headphones while driving in Oregon, but there are some exceptions. You cannot drive with earbuds in Beaverton. Oh, true or false? Found it out on Google. Now, if Larry is just Googling this and doesn't really know, I'm going to say this is one of my peeves, Larry. I was going to chime in and be like, no, that can't be real. You better back that up with a citation. Well, he screen grabbed it, Uh but he also, when he screen grabbed it on the bottom of his picture, it shows that he's been looking at uh, one of these websites where you can uh, buy things online. So he includes some shopping. (laughs) He's getting a pop-up in the bottom of his deal. We know a little I, more about Larry. Now. Yeah, I, don't you think the pants, the leather pants that are nine dollars and forty-four cents, oh, are yeah. a good buy at the bottom of that? Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> got some items like, suggested to him there. Su- some suggested items. You got the leather pants. Uh, so maybe Larry's been googling leather pants lately. Is that what we're finding out? In addition to uh, driving can, laws, can you wear earbuds in Oregon? <laughs> Poor Larry. And let me get some leather pants. Larry's just uh, trying to help us. I out. know, Larry. Thank you for listening. Larry always tweets at us. Appreciate that. All right, coming up, our correspondent Palumbo is on the case. He's coming up next. Got some great high school football championships in the state of Oregon taking place this week. I'm a little bummed that the uh, high school championship games are uh, also taking place on Friday and not Saturday in some cases. 6A championship game is going to be on Friday. But uh, Matthew Palumbo, longtime broadcaster. He's got uh, the pulse of high school sports, college sports. He's got a pulse in general. Matthew Palumbo joining us to talk about it. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Good to be here with you and Anna and uh, and Judith. Great. Give me an idea, Matthew. Uh, high school championship football season. You know, you've been in the state of Oregon. What comes to mind? How big is this to kids and parents and families in schools in the state when we get to this point of the season? Well, the good news is it'll be a clear day. It'll be cold, so bundle up. You're going to be at Hillsborough Stadium. It's a wonderful venue. And to have uh, two caliber teams like Central Catholic and Tualatin together, their fan bases are going to travel exceptionally well. It's a bummer, yeah, that it's noon on Friday, but obviously that will give people a time to get home and and get ready for that last installment of whatever game you want to call it. But obviously uh, uh, big things are happening at 5.30 p.m. after that game. All right. uh, Obviously you mentioned the teams that are – going to be playing in the game how do they match up in your mind what should people be uh, be looking for i think it's a great story john i mean both of these teams lost in the semifinals 
uh, a year ago. Uh, they've kind of vanquished their demons to get back. Actually, these two teams met in 2021, and the Rams uh, came out on top uh, pretty convincingly, yeah, 44 to 14, and uh, and then Central Catholic, you know, goes to Westland, takes on the uh, prohibitive uh, favorites as the number four seed, and the, they won a very wonky game, and then. Uh, nobody saw what Tualatin was going to do. They went up against the defense and only given up 35 points, uh, and they went out and uh, scored 42 points. They scored more points against their opponent than their opponent had given up the entire season. So there's going to be explosive plays and dynamic players all over the field. You've been at this a long time. You've seen a lot of big games in the state, and uh, you know I think you know we also have a, a Civil War football game on Friday. That is a big deal. Uh, get, you know, frame all of this for us, Matthew. Like, you know, some people are going to have to choose between going to one game, going to the other game, watching a game, listening on the radio. I mean, you've been around. What advice do you give to people who want to take in parts of both? Uh, first of all, if you're domesticated, get your honey-do list done uh, and make sure that you've got time <laughs> to do this. <laughs> uh, you know, there's going to be a lot going on with family members traveling, you know, here and there in everywhere. I think the great thing about, you know, the medium, you know, that I was listening to you on my pad, people can do it on the radio, NFX, H, like they're doing the game, they can watch a live broadcast. There's just so many ways we can do this now, and there's there's going to be an opportunity. It's just going to be one of those fun days, I think, that very few people are ever going to forget, and I think, you know, a championship game for high school is one thing. Uh, the end of a 127-year rivalry uh, has a lot of other emotions involved in it. Yeah, Matthew Palumbo with us. He is our correspondent, uh, Central Catholic Tualatin for all, all the marbles, 1230 uh, uh, game on Friday, uh, taking place on Friday. Um, and then you have, obviously, the Civil War game at 530 on Fox if you're watching it on TV. Um, are, are you going to the game or what are you doing? What's uh, What's your plan? Well, I begged everybody in the in the industry for a credential. Uh, I happened to probably be uh, speeding around a, a place where you and I met each other. Uh, you know, last week I'll probably be there doing what I do to subsidize wanting to be a broadcaster. But we'll have the game on there, and uh, it, it's something obviously uh, near and dear to me as a, a graduate of Oregon State. Yeah, give me an idea, Matthew. You know, you're you're you know, you talk about broadcasting, wanting to be in the business. You've worked for a long time. I know you interned at TV stations. You've worked in the business. I know you've called games at small college games. You know, why do you love it? Why do you want to be around it? I think it's simple. I've told this story before, but I I, I grew up going to sleep uh, to Bill Shongley's broadcast. And it was great because it was my bedtime. You know, he'd say, you know, basketball fans, wherever you may be, good night, everybody. And my dad turn off the radio. Uh, I dedicate most of what I do to that 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 idea, and especially at this level, John, it's it's a passion. I've become old enough now that I'm a second generation. I'm calling games of you know kids. You know, I, I went to school with their their mother or their father, and I mean, I'm going to get that opportunity uh, all over this weekend. And and to me, it, it's a real blessing to have that. The, this thing that they can get a digital copy of or, and all that kind of stuff, it will live in posterity. It's their Super Bowl. It's mine. Every time I go out there, uh, I want to call it like I'm a fan. Love that. I love the passion that you have for it, and I think you capture uh, the emotion and the importance of it. Matthew Palumbo with us. Uh, all right, this, this 6A championship, um, you know, the OSAA took a lot of heat, Matthew, for seeding the way they did. And so you don't have one versus two. Uh, what did you make of the seeding process? 
Do we have the two best teams? What do we have in this, this 6A championship game? I think anybody would have said in that Westland Central Catholic game because it was the championship game the year before, uh, how can you have that be in the semifinals? And there was a lot of complaints, I'd say, uh, from uh, certain entities about where Central Catholic uh, got their seating. I think they nailed it uh, with Sherwood and Tuol. And, and a lot of people, when I walked into Hillsborough Stadium, because the Bowman's defense is so good at Sherwood, they'd given up literally no points. The first thing that people said that said Tualatin will score, and they did it in bunches. Their quarterback, uh, gosh, I mean, uh, Nolan Keeney's got a Division One arm. He went out and threw six touchdowns to two interceptions over 400 yards, and 300 of them go to his outstanding receiver, uh, Jaden Fortier, who you will not be able to miss wearing the number eight. And then on the other side of the ball, John, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, the, the bevy of talent, at Central Catholic is pretty crazy. Watch for Mannix Carpenter, even though he's a nose tackle center playing, uh, you know, right tackle. Uh, he's a defensive and offensive lineman of the year in the state. Crew Newman, their quarterback, maybe a better runner, but, man, he can throw the ball and he's got weapons. And then watch out for Timmy Mitchell, Jr. This guy is electric. I mean, if he gets in special teams or catches it, you know, with space, he's going to make things uh, happen. I think this is – a real opportunity for Tualatin, you know, to kind of get rid of it. But you got to understand, Central Catholic, John, since 2019, they've been playing for the right. They lost in the semifinals last year. If there wasn't COVID, you're talking about three, four championships in a row. Pedigreed. When we look at the semifinal games, Central beat Westland 12-7. And uh, as you mentioned, Tualatin 42-23 over Sherwood. Very different kinds of games. What do you expect what style of game are we going to see? Low scoring, high scoring, something in between? I just don't think there's any way you can get away from the fact that there's so much speed on the field. Uh, I think, you know, the the energy and all of the hype around it, uh, I could see it being a knockdown, drag out, like huge scoring game, or it could be the exact opposite. I just think that the skill position players, John, are too good for it not to be high scoring. I just I I, I'd say right now, if you had to handicap it, I'll say Central Catholic 35, Wallet and 31. I'm sure it's not what the Timberwolves fans want to hear, but I can tell you, uh, they were resilient against that Bowman you know, team. And I'll tell you something about Central Catholic. You know, Lakers gave them a little bit of a run in the quarterfinals. They got them 0-0 through one, and then they went out and scored on six consecutive possessions. You got to understand when you have that kind of talent. It will come, and the cream will rise to the top every time, and I expect it for both teams on Friday. Matthew Palumbo all over the 6A championship. Have you looked at any of the other brackets and the other divisions, or are you mostly focused on the 6A? So I got to do a few other games, and I'll actually be doing some broadcasting on, on Saturday. I'll tell you what I did on Saturday for the first time, John, and it was weird. I called 1A, and I know you guys were having a laugh about this around five. Let's talk about it. Yeah. I've never, I, I, I've, I've never seen six-on-six six football. So imagine that you're playing basketball on AstroTurf. Imagine that if you get the ball directly hiked to you, you can't cross the line of scrimmage. I called a play-by-play call that went 38 seconds. It was nuts. <laughs> I've never seen I love it. it. Ever. I mean, it was like back and forth. And, like, all of us were, you know, I mean, we were morons. We were like, run. Well, the rules say that you can't. <laughs> and so it was just gone forever and ever, and it was like we must have looked like uh, like like kittens, like you know, with like catnip. I mean, we were looking back and forth. We could not figure out what was going on. 
it was I was very discombobulated, but we we rallied back when we got back to eleven on eleven, and then all was right with the world. You know, it's I went and watched the six month six man championship years ago, and it was fun. And you had kids that were playing that you know were all farmers and ranchers and kids from Eastern Oregon and from communities that just didn't have enough to play. You know, they have to play. Uh, eight-man football or six-man football, and, and, you know, you've got – I think it really makes a fun game. But I, I still think Division One Matthew, should be the biggest division, and the fact that it goes the opposite direction is mind-blowing. I was going to have fun when you when you had 6A, like sex a I mean, it's, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, there's six – you know, it was just – I don't know why they do it. I mean, there's teams called, like, Special League One. I'm like, I don't even know. I mean, is this like an A-team episode? I don't know why they do what they do there. I just know 6A is the highest grade of football or basketball or baseball that you can play in the state of Oregon. In the 5A championship, it'll be number one Wilsonville playing uh, Mountain View of Bend, Oregon, the number three seed on Friday. And, you know, give us an idea. You know, you've seen across divisions. It's you know, is there a huge gap in your mind as you go from, you know, 1A to 2A to 3A to 4 I mean, is there a discernible difference or, you know, is it like a, uh, you know, a, a middleweight could never beat a heavyweight? Like, you tell me. Uh, I mean, I think that 5A, 6A argument is pretty important. And I think actually because of Sherwood, it might be the most important. I remember I graduated from Lake Oswego High School. Uh, a guy uh, by the name, I believe, of Stephen Long, you know, came to Lake Oswego from Sherwood, and it kind of knocked them down back to, like, this 5A level. You know, they comported themselves in that semifinal like they are 6A, and in that swap between Tigard, all of that Wilsonville, I mean, you're talking about maybe the the biggest, like, you know, amount of talent the state has. And I'll say that Wilsonville program was built uh, by Casey Carpenter. That's Mannix Carpenter's uh, father. Uh, he and I went to Oregon State together. His kid, you know, is getting looks, you know, here on the West Coast and maybe some Ivy League schools. And that program down in Wilsonville, no joke. I mean, like, they, they, they've got a good thing going on down there. That'll be a, a tough game. We put Wilsonville in the 6A bracket. You're saying they could rattle around in there a little bit. Well, I mean, I mean, look, I, I'll tell you, I mean, it used to be Wilson. It became Ida B. Wells, and there's this team called Nelson. I'm like, Nelson who? I mean, it was like it is kind of changing around, and, and obviously with districting and all the things that are going on, I, I I would assume that, you know, that Wilsonville could. I mean, like, I mean, really, if you just go, what, 40 minutes to the south, you're going to tell me because we don't hear a lot about the Central Valley and, you know, South Salem. And when I grew up, uh, you know, those teams from Roseburg and Medford, I mean, most of the talent does – kind of get into that Eugene Portland area but I mean it's all over the state but I I think any team in the 5A uh, on a good day would take many 6A teams you know deep deep playoff runs I mean it's just that's how they that's how they district it in the 4A bracket you've got the Henley Hornets of Klamath Falls shout out to 960 AM an affiliate here uh, that carries the show and and you've got Marist in Eugene, it says the number two seed. They'll play Saturday at 5 o'clock, so there's no Civil War interference on that game. I want to give some love to the uh, to the 4A bracket as well. Matthew Palumbo, you're the best. We'll get you back on. Maybe we'll get you back on next week and, and uh, talk about the fallout from the games. Absolutely, John. I appreciate it very much. All right, there he is, our correspondent on the scene, Matthew Palumbo. Good stuff there. Leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up from Stephen and I. Can we play Fun Factor Nah coming up? Can we do that? Can that be the last thing we do before Thanksgiving? Let's do it.
I want everybody to have a happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you as a listener. I'm thankful for you as a reader. I'm thankful that you're out there and um, you're part of this community. You are, if you're listening to this this radio show, you really are. I'm grateful for you, and I hope you have a great Thanksgiving with your family and your friends and... And uh, I hope you're eating turkey and mashed potatoes. That's uh, my wish for you tomorrow. We won't be on air tomorrow. We won't be on Friday either with this show. But uh, So we're going to tie up today's program with some fun fact or nah, special Civil War edition. How about this? We had Greg, the Pac-12 intern, give us Civil War facts. And he has dug up some of the 10 best facts that he could come up with. Anna, you ready? Yeah. Steven, you ready? Yeah, let's do this. I'm excited about this one. All right. Uh, fun fact or nah, you tell me. Let's go. Let's start with this one. Uh, John Bloss was president of Oregon State when the rivalry began in 1894. He was a former sergeant in the Union Army during the real Civil War. Fun fact or nah? Fun. Yeah, I'll go for I'll go fun on that. That's uh that's some good history lessons right there. Good history on the winning side. Glad it said union, not Confederate. <laughs> and so I think that is fun. Not so fun if it was in the Confederate I Army. Might have had a hard time <laughs> yeah. rooting for the like, Confederates. Ooh. <laughs> you know, no, not fun. Um here's one. In eighteen ninety eight, Oregon State played the Civil War game without a head coach. The Beavers lost 38 zip in Corvallis. They had no head coach. What? I need to know more. Uh, yeah. Fun fact or not? Well, that's a nod because I do need to know more. Like, why was he not there? Like, mm-hmm. they're, you're, they're leaving out the information that I want to know. So, no, that's a nod. It's almost like they said the coach coached the game without a shirt or without pants. We don't know which. <laughs> and I got to go, I need to know. But just the fact that they went into the game with no head coach yeah. is pretty fun to me. Really interesting. Um, here's one. Um, let's go to a fun fact or nah. Um, so that's, this is a different one. Okay. Fun fact or nah. Civil War is the fifth most played rivalry in all of football. All of football. Fifth most. Fun fact or nah. Um, nah. That's, that's a nah for me. I just... <laughs> It's not that fun. It just wasn't that fun. And it also makes me Underwhelming. sad. It makes me sad because they may uh, not play this game anymore. So it's mm-hmm. like Number be- six is the big game with Stanford and Cal, and they are one game behind Oregon and Oregon State. So if they don't mm-hmm. play next year, they get tied. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, so that's, it's a nah. It's got, it'd only be fun if they continue playing. If this is the last one, it's it's nah for me, man. All right. I still think it's fun because it gives us perspective on how important it is nationally. It's been a while. It's been around. Um, here's one for you. Um, nine times the Civil War has not been played in either Corvallis or Eugene. Nine of the 127 games have taken place in other cities. Seven times in Portland, the last in 1952. Twice in Albany, the last in 1913. Fun fact or not? Uh, I think that's fun. The one that's in Albany, I think that's really fun. Is there a chance that... uh... If Oregon doesn't want to play Oregon State in Corvallis, there could be some more games in Portland. I I think it really limits, you know, the capacity at Providence Park is just not the same. It doesn't match Reeser Stadium or Autzen. So there's a problem with the home gate. 
you know, and, and you're not maximizing the possible revenue that you could generate from it. I think that's what keeps it from being at either one of those places. But I'll say I'll say fun fact as well. So yeah. it is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one. There have been 10 ties in the history of the Civil War. Five each in Corvallis and Eugene. Five in each place, 10 total ties. Fun fact or not? Terrible fact. I hate ties. Yeah, I'm with Anna. It's just a tie. Is, it's not the fact. You lost me a tie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> by the way. Fun. Not fun at all. By a the tie way. tie is no fun. Because of the, all right, because of the introduction of overtime, here's a fun fact or not. <laughs> 1983 Civil War game was known as the Toilet Bowl. People remember that. 11 fumbles in the game, five interceptions, four missed field goals, played in heavy rain. It was a 0-0 tie. But here's the fun fact or not. Because of the introduction of overtime, the 1983 Civil War game will remain the last 0-0 tie ever played at the Division One level in football. I'll fun go, factor. That, that's fun to me. I, I do like that. Can you imagine if there was a game like that with that many turnovers nowadays with like social media? Yeah, it'd be awful. Destroyed. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Even though it was a tie, it's a notable tie. Therefore, making it fun. Right. It, was the, it was the final of the ties, so that's why yeah. it's fun. Right. Here's what got me. Uh, I I was doing some math, and I was like, okay, they started playing this series in 1894, and they didn't play in 1911. They didn't play. In 1943 or 1944, but how do they get to 127? The math doesn't make sense to me. It should be like 125. Okay. Okay? Well, here's why. The Civil War was played twice in the 1896 season. Oh. The Ducks won both games. The Civil War was played twice in 1945 after the war. The Beavers won both games. Yeah. So twice, it's been played twice. Fun fact or not? Really fun. Yeah, that is actually really fun. Because uh, I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I necessarily would love it, but I think it is fun that they played back-to-back games. Love that. It's like they were trying to make up for the ones that they missed, it seems like. Yeah, 1913, Oregon was a heavy favorite entering that game. FanDuel had him as a heavy favorite. Say, what, what a draft game. Like, draft- they, yeah. like, they had favorites? All right, here's the thing. <laughs> like, the teams tied 10-10 to in 1913. Uh-huh. Oregon State canceled classes on the following Monday and threw a parade after a 10-10 tie. Fun fact or not? Nah? That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nah, bro. That's a nah. I love it. I love that they canceled classes. Well, I love for that, but, for but they were like, the we, you didn't win. You didn't win. We're throwing a parade. No, I think that's <laughs> not fun. That's ridiculous. That's a loser's no. mentality. How could you throw a parade for a tie? Well, 1998 Civil War game had only one injury. 98? 1998. 1998. Had only one injury. An Oregon State freshman got bonked on the head by the tumbling goalpost as the fans were tearing down the goalposts after the game. (laughs) Fun fact or not? That's pretty fun. That's really fun, actually. Do you know what the name was? No, I just just news report freshman student. Mm. Here's a fun fact, if you're a Beaver fan, maybe. Ducks quarterback Joey Harrington, people know Joey, played in three Civil War games. He threw zero touchdown passes in Civil War games, despite playing in three games. Fun fact or not? That's really fun. I would have never guessed that. How is that possible? No touchdown passes for Joey. Wow. 
crazy. It's just the difference of uh, like how the game has evolved. Because there's no way that would happen nowadays. But I mean, I guess back then they you know, ran the football more. You know, like yeah, it wasn't that long ago. But you know, that's that's wild. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Um, 1946 Civil War week. Oregon State students kidnapped Oregon's live duck mascot, Puddles. Fun fact or nah? <laughs> Um, so does that, does that mean Puddles is the official mascot name? It's an actual live duck, I guess. Yeah. It was around in 46. They got rid of it and replaced it with a Disney character. That is, uh, uh, that's fun to me. I, I love the, uh, the school spirit, you know. It's, yeah. it's like a Saved by the Bell episode. 1933, Oregon State's Civil War team, nicknamed the Ironmen, had 11, all 11 players played both ways. Wow. They played two ways, 1933. Fun fact or not? <laughs> So fun. That's a nah. Where was the NIL program? Get it together. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Um, here we go. Fun fact or nah. Here we go. Oregon State safety Jake Cookus and Oregon defensive back Anthony Newman both have the single game record for interceptions. Three. Cookus, by the way, was an emergency starter for the Beavers who picked off Joey Harrington three times in 2000. Cookus is now an assistant coach at Oregon State. Newman, and we all know Anthony Newman. He's around, helping out with high schools, mentoring kids. Those three guys each had three interceptions. It's still a Civil War record. Mm. Newman and Cookus. Real fun. It was Love fun. That. I like that you tied it back to Joey. There we go. There, we go. <laughs> there it is. Uh, we'll have more of these. I'll tweet out more of these. And uh, we'll uh, obviously on Monday download on Oregon versus Washington, possibly, in the Pac-12 championship game. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody.